Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Rod, <laughs> and I'm joined by... I'm busy. Who? <laughs> Jess. Oh. <laughs> I'm busy. So busy. Sorry, I'm enjoying a nice toasty beverage. Well, I am... Cold beverage. To- I was like... Because it's toasty in this apartment, you see. Uh, and I have a whole gallon of milk tea at yeah. my disposal. <laughs> That's not going to be pleasant for people to hear. You hate noises like that. I hate noises. I'm so sorry. We could have cut it out, but um, our editing guy is not going to cut that out. <laughs> uh, so I hope you are prepared for a mammoth episode this this week because yeah. we are going to be talking about the music of 1987 for the both of us. Oh, if, if you're new to the show, this is what we do. Uh, we pick a year. This year is 1987. And... It's a music episode, so what we've done is we've gone through a list of every music album released in 1987 and decided which one each of us had listened to the most. Yeah. Start to finish, the most. Um, and this this one this year was actually pretty easy for us to decide which ones we listened to yeah. the most, because it's like... The runners-up were barely running. They right. were jogging up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, well, these albums are very near and dear to us. And they're also two of the most important albums of all time. Highest selling, most influential. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about this episode. Yeah. Um, so be prepared. This is going to be a long one, folks. Be prepared. <laughs> grab <laughs> your, be a year. Yeah, grab a, grab a nice beverage of your own. Enjoy it as you uh, listen to us talk about 1987 music. Yeah. So are you ready to just jump right in? Okay. All right. Who are we beginning with? My album. All right. So I'll just jump into it. Released July 21st, 1987, one of the most important hard rock albums of all time, we have Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. (laughs) Ooh, listen to that. I will, because you asked politely. Yes. So that is uh, the epic opening riff to Welcome to the Jungle you hear, (laughs) because... Tell you what, Appetite for Destruction is a punch in the face. From a friend? Yeah. Hold on, <laughs> I'm just gonna, like, I want to get I want to get get here to where the, the the song really kicks in. There we go. All right. So, before I even jump into like the history of the album or why it's important to me, I need to emphasize how important this album was at the time of its release. Okay. Okay. Late on me. We, we've talked a little bit in like our previous year's episodes. Um, what do you recall being the 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 status of rock music? Why must you always give me pop quizzes? You know I'm a terrible student. Sorry. You didn't even tell me there was a test today. Am I wearing pajamas? It's no, what, a nightmare. Something about going back to the roots because people are like, this isn't real metal. This is this is. Pansy metal, that's a flower. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> hard rock and heavy metal had, in some people's minds, lost its way. Mm. Got a little too commercialized. We talked about Bon Jovi in our 1986 music album. Um, guys who were focus testing and writing songs for teenagers because they wanted to make money. Um, glam metal, hair metal, was mm. top of the charts. Uh, things like uh, Motley Crue, Poison... White White Snake, right? Pretty boys writing pretty songs, like but with an edge, right? 
power. I love pretty boys. No, I love that stuff songs. too. Hair, hair metal is a lot of fun, and you know, um, but it wasn't the gritty rock of the seventies, right? Right, right. People were saying, "Where's ACDC? Where's Led Zeppelin?" You know, that just like hard rock. Yeah. Right. So we started to see, like, and even the big rock names from the seventies, like Kiss, or, or or we talked about Iron Maiden in our nineteen eighty six. Uh, episode, right? They were starting to incorporate like synthesizers and mm-hmm. getting more pop oriented, getting rid of the 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 hard rock yeah. gritty sound. So people are like, w- "Where's the rock? <laughs> What's the deal?" Well, let me tell you, Guns and Roses was what the doctor ordered. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So 1987, Guns and Roses drops "Appetite for Destruction," and it is a return to form for hard rock music. It's loud, it's intense, it's real, it's mean, it's sleazy, dirty, it's it's perfect. It's everything that hard rock was supposed to be. Right. Okay. It was like, back to the roots, you know, modern edge, like, it was just cool. It was, just, and, and people ate it up. This is what the market wanted. Mm. And so I, there's a, there's a great documentary called The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, it is a, like basically the examination of the Los Angeles heavy metal scene of like the late '80s, right? Mm. And when they filmed it, Appetite for Destruction had just hit, right? right, right. And so they're interviewing all these up and coming metal metal in quotes bands in the basically at the LA like the Hollywood Strip, like trying to this make a the, name for themselves. That documentary you were watching on YouTube when we first got married, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm. So these, she, they're interviewing these up and coming bands, and these guys are like all glammed out, big heavy, you know, hair, big hair, makeup, and it's funny to watch in hindsight because Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction had just dropped, and these guys are still trying to play Poison and Motley Crue music. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, you're too late. <laughs> you're too late to the party. <laughs> the you know? party has moved to the yeah. after party. So anyway, that's that's why Appetite for Destruction was so important. Right. Um, and it just so happens that Guns N' Roses is, my, in some days, it is my favorite band of all time. <laughs> and I can see this, The I can see the argument that Appetite for Destruction is a perfect album and the best album either of all time or at least the 80s. Okay. For rock or... In general. In general. Best ever made in general. Yeah, and, and you know, like, I, I, I get that there's definitely arguments to be made about other albums. Yes, like All the Right Reasons by Nickelback, 2000... I was, get out of here. <laughs> I'm making an argument. No. <laughs> but I think just with all... All it does, it's just a thrill ride from start to finish. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, yeah. So you had had you heard of Guns N' Roses before meeting me? I mean, yeah, I'll, yes, I've heard of the name Guns N' Roses, but I couldn't say that I would be able to prescribe a song. Prescribe? Did I use that word right in this sure. context? <laughs> <laughs> I am a doctor. Um, that I would be able to ascribe um, a song in particular to them before I met you, and even now, some days I'm like. I know you get really mad, but I'm like, is this Rush or is this Guns N' Roses? You confuse Rush with Guns N' Roses. They sound very similar. They don't. <laughs> um, so, like, but you had you if you if I was to play like Sweet Child of Mine, you had heard that before meeting me, for example. Maybe. maybe? Okay. Maybe. I'm just gauging. I'm just gauging it. I because, mean, I definitely heard Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I feel like I definitely heard that in that Tim Allen movie, Jungle to Jungle. I feel like they played it in Jungle to Jungle. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But do you you don't have like a like a, a, a an old memory of you you first encountering Guns N' Roses? No, I like to the to the point of like my mom is a Guns N' Roses fan, and I didn't know that until after I started yeah, your, dating your mom, you. Your mom doesn't strike me as a Guns N' Roses fan, but okay, well you don't just strike my mom as an NWA fan. That's fine. That's fair. <laughs> Um, so my first encounter with guns, uh, let me, let me tell my music story. I've told this a little bit in the past already, but, uh, in elementary school, I was bullied into not liking music anymore because I listened to pop music, radio, Disney, mm-hmm. uh, sync, and, uh, people made fun of me. So I said, forget it. No more music. I wrote off music for several years. So if people ask, what's, what kind of music do you like? Oh, I just don't like music. <laughs> um, that changed in middle school. Um, and I think for one reason and one reason only, and it's this. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas out now on PlayStation 2 rated M for mature. (laughs) (laughs) So I would, uh, come home from school and do my homework and I'd be watching G4 or something on the TV and they played that that tra- that commercial for Grand Theft Auto San Andreas all the time mm-hmm. and they always used Welcome to the Jungle so I started to associate Welcome to the Jungle with Grand Theft Auto San Andreas mm-hmm. um, I didn't I'd never heard of Guns N' Roses before I'd never heard that song before but I was like, that's a pretty cool song and then when I end up picking up the game I hear it on the in-game radio and I'm like, hey, it's that song from the commercial. That song's pretty cool. I'll just stay on this radio station in the game. Right. And uh, holy crap, like, I just, a bunch of, like, classic rock and, like, early 90s alternative started playing on the radio. And that's what built my music taste. Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas. Who says you can't learn anything from video games? Yeah, right? Um, so. I say you can't. So here's the thing, like, when you're a kid, like, you don't really know when things came out. You don't really have a time, you know, you don't, there's, you, you don't understand time, even in middle school. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, so, I or didn't know, I had, no, I had no idea what year this song was from, right? Mm-hmm. But I was basically, like, I found music that I enjoy, I can now share it with people and they'll respect me. <laughs> They're like, it's like all music, to me it was like all music is music, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if... I say, oh yeah, I like music. I like this song, Welcome to the Jungle. I like Guns N' Roses, right? People will be like, oh cool, I also like that. But you come to realize in middle school, in the the mid-2000s, no one cares about Guns N' Roses but you. And like a small group of friends. And I was like, oh great. So I'm still not accepted, but I love this rock music. So you know what? Screw them. I accept you, honey. I know, I know. Oh. I remember being at an amusement park for like some school field trip or whatever. It was like the, the end of the year and it was like our treat for getting through the year. We're at the amusement park and Welcome to the Jungle is playing like on the midway, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this song's awesome. I was like, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, I was a weird metalhead, a weird hard rock type of guy, rocker dude. What are you now if you were that then? Uh, a grown adult rocker dude. <laughs> but anyway, at that point, it was like, that was my gateway. I started to uh, listen to classic rock radio. And then you start to hear, like, these songs. You're like, oh, I like that song. I like that song, right? And 
it was like every time a song would come on, I'd ask my dad, I'd say, hey, oh, that's a cool song. Who sings that? That's Guns N' Roses. So <laughs> Sweet Child of Mine would come on. I like that song. Oh, it's Guns N' Roses. Uh, 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 welcome to, or what is it? Uh, Paradise City, right? Mm. What's, what's, who's, who's that? that? It's Guns N' Roses. Patience. Who's that, Dad? Guns N' Roses. Uh, <laughs> knocking on Heaven's Door. Same story, over and over again. And I was like, I guess Guns N' Roses is my favorite band because I, I like have a type because <laughs> I like all of their songs, right? So I just like dug in. Like I remember getting this album, Appetite for Destruction, for Christmas and just buying all of their albums. And it's easy to collect all of their albums because they only have like five. <laughs> ah, nice. And they they won't release anymore. Gotta catch them all. Done. Axl Rose isn't sitting on three albums worth of material apparently for <laughs> for ten years and he hasn't released them. So <laughs> sorry, my brain just said he's the um. The Nolan of the music industry. Don't worry. Avatar 2 will come out eventually. Yeah. yeah. Cameron. <laughs> Cameron. James Cameron. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm real good with names. James Cameron has been Just working on Avatar, Avatars 2 through 5. <laughs> <laughs> eventually. You know, they'll come out eventually. Guns N' Roses. Uh, Chinese Democracy 2 will come out eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Huh. That's that's my story with, with Guns N' Roses. They're my story my... is that one day I started dating a boy and he liked this music. So I now know songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, Want to hear about their history? His hair story. His hair, hair. They had big. They did have big hair. <laughs> they, they, I mean, that's the thing. Like, they they were the you know balls to the wall hard rock, mm. but uh, they they still had that that glam edge of the eighties. Yeah. They still had the eighties big hair. Yeah, you know, and we may say this later. I'm like, I literally never like as much as I've heard from them. You made me watch a music video this last week uh, for Welcome to the Jungle, and I realized I have never seen these people. But obviously that was from 87, and they were different. But I was just like, oh, Axel Rose is an adorable little farm boy. Yeah. He, he's also a rocker. But in that video, I was just like, oh, are you from Iowa? I just yep. want to pinch your yep. cheeks. He's a country boy. <laughs> uh, Indiana, I believe. Um, you know, it's funny when I first listened to like Guns N' Roses, I, I also did not know who the members of the band were, or what they looked like. I actually thought that maybe there were two singers because Axel can do like the, you know, like very high pitched, like screaming yeah. kind of music singing. And he also has like a very like, Growl. like a low, like just kind of like a low, like, you know, mm. and I always thought it maybe two singers were in the band, like one high pitched guy and one low pitched guy. No, it's one guy. Just one guy with many pitches. I also thought maybe he could be black. Who knows? <laughs> I'll give that to you. He has, like, I think like he has, a um, especially Axel with his singing, I think he draws inspiration from like old blues singers and stuff. Like, yeah, I can see that. That's Guns why I said I'd give it to you. Yeah, Guns N' Roses <laughs> definitely also has like a very blues edge. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The guitarist Slash, the guy with the top hat, yes, uh, has a very blues yeah. style. Let's talk about their history. Oh, hi. So, Guns N' Roses, Los Angeles-based hard rock band. They were formed in 1985. The band was originally conceived as a supergroup, a combination between the band L.A. Guns, which was led by guitarist Tracy Guns, and Hollywood Rose, which was led by frontman Axl Rose. Hmm. Get it? I do get it. <laughs> yeah. Guns and roses. Guns and roses. Um, but in, this is a com, you know, just a running trend with these guys. Infighting and such led to Guns pulling out, the Tracy Guns pulling out, and being replaced with a different guitarist named Slash. So oh, I, that that quick? That super quick. Yeah. Oh. With it by like 1986, like Tracy Guns was like, "I'm out, guys." <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah, because I was like, I was like, he Slash was there in '87. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's a, so and that, they started in '85. Yeah. So it was like they were sort of. It was like you know two groups, and there was like commingling, and like they, you know some guys were friends with other guys, and like Axl Rose, he's a bit of a hothead. Mm-hmm. He has a temper. He's very impatient, and he, he, people get on his nerves, and I assume he gets on people's nerves. So it was like before they could even form Guns N' Roses like they had planned, Tracy's like, I'm out of here. You're crazy. Uh, <laughs> what did Trace do? Tracy, LA Guns Continue? continued on. All right. Yeah, they're, they're still together to this day. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LA you Guns. You must not really like them because I've never heard yeah, of they, them. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very, they're very, I mean, that's the thing. Like, they have some good songs, but to me, they're very generic late 80s rock. Okay. They're a lot like Great White. Mm. There's a band called Great White from the from the late 80s. Very similar sound. Slaughter or Rat. A rat. <laughs> Those are all bands from the late 80s that sound like LA Guns to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Guns N' Roses basically actually was like, that's fine. I'm te- I'll keep the name. I got I got my boys. Let's, let's do this. Um, after the band finalized its lineup, they made a name for themselves on the LA club scene and were signed to Geffen Records in 1986. Oh, wow. Again, quick. Yep, and uh, basically, like by that point, Geffen was like, "All right, guys, write, you know, let's make an album together." And they were like, "Cool." <laughs> and apparently, like this album came together very quickly because they were they had already had a bunch of demos recorded, mm-hmm. so like demos of songs that eventually made it onto the album. So I don't mm-hmm. think they really had to spend too much time writing the songs. It was just like, "Hey, let's just let's just get let's just get it done." Is this the band you told me just blew through their money for the first album? No, no, that was Megadeth. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that on our dark al- our dark episode? No, no, I think that was 1985 music. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, I, it's, it's funny to say that, but I, Guns N' Roses was more responsible with their money and time in the studio than Me- Megadeth was. Well. Yeah. Um, and, like, for example, drummer Steven Adler said that he had done all of the percussion for the album in just six days. Oof. Yeah. And so, like... The, and he's according to him, the vocals took longer because Axel insisted on doing them one line at a time. That's another characteristic. He's a perfectionist. That's gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a reason why Chinese Democracy took 12 years to make. Mr. Rose, please stop. Please just do it all in one go. Oh my gosh. No, no. Axel Rose is a like well-known perfectionist. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so, not working with so no like, perfectionists. This is like proto Axel, right? Like he 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 took his time, but they got the album of you know got the album out in an, an appropriate amount of time. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> apparently that type of perfectionism drove the rest of the band away from the studio as he worked. I bet you know who I feel bad for. Hmm. <laughs> the the programmer, what is the word? Like the producer, the, the producer, the, yes, who yeah. have to sit there line after line. Like we've said, welcome to the jungle. We've got fun and games over and over for the yeah. last hour and a half. So I mean, I'm sure that was frustrating, but I, as we will get into, um, hanging out with Guns and Roses was a wild ride. Mm. Um, so I'll. I'll, I'll we we'll jump into the music here in just a second, but um, like five minutes. Yeah, 
like we talked about Bon Jovi and they're writing songs about having a good time and you know mm-hmm. dr- riding my motorcycle, de- you know being a, a true being know, in debt and working at a diner. Yeah, working class <laughs> hero, modern day cowboy, right? Yeah. But at the same time, like no nah, man, they were writing songs to be rich. Mm. You know, it, it seemed a little disingenuous, and I wanted to be a little too cynical looking into Bon Jovi. Right, right. They, to me, they didn't portray what they were writing their songs to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Guns N' Roses, real deal. <laughs> Everything they wrote about in this album, they lived it. Um, and, you know, let's just get into it, man. Welcome okay. to the jungle. Uh, I'll, I'll start up with that excellent riff once again, and we'll, we'll jump in. Yeah. So anyway. Um, welcome to the jungle. So, um, actually, we did not mention this in the past few episodes that we did for music, but uh, if we were to sit here and talk about every song in the album, we'd be here forever. So... In order just to save a little bit of time, we're going to, we, we, for these albums, we'll pick out four songs to represent the whole album. We're trying to get a variety. Yeah. You know, so it's like, we'll pick a few hits, we'll pick a few filler tracks or like, you know, lesser known songs and talk about them. Yeah. And, and what we hope gives people like a general idea of the album as a whole. But also what's your appetite to, you know, go and listen to it for yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If we sat here for the whole time kids we would die we turned our ac off for you for you it's 110 degrees outside i hope you're thankful <laughs> which means it's 117 in here which i'm fine i don't get hot till 120 but you my dear you're always hot wink you <laughs> <laughs> um okay welcome to the jungle it was inspired by uh axel rose claimed that he was inspired for the lyrics when he came uh, when he had an encounter um, with a homeless man while they were out, while they were coming out of a bus into New York City, right? Mm-hmm. These are two country boys going to the city for the first time. They step out of the bus, and a homeless guy looks at him and sees exactly what he sees. You know, two country boys had never been to New York City before. He says, Welcome to the jungle, baby. You're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it went down. So that's what this song is meant to represent. Like, just like the, the fierceness and like the kind of the. I don't know, the excitement, the anticipation of going to a new place mm-hmm. in a big city, but also it's, like, kind of scary and dangerous. Yeah. Right? The prospect of it. Yeah. It's, you- like, about being lost, but trying to, like, nav- navigate. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? Because I feel like anytime you go somewhere new, even if you have a map, you're a little bit lost. Right. And, I mean, so we, we another freaking theme throughout these 80s episodes is, like, the sheen of the 80s has been coming off since, like, 1985. Oh, yeah, that chrome. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm sure I'm sure New York City wasn't that all that great in the 80s. Uh, it has a reputation, you know. But there's a certain look that the late 80s New York City had. It was, mm-hmm. like, dirty and scary and dark, right? Right. Los Angeles, New York City, it's like, yeah, man, there's, like, a lot of wealth disparities and, and yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, ghettos and stuff like that. So it was a scary place to be. Getting for off a bus two for the country boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're more of a lyric person than I am, and I, you've probably dug into these lyrics. Anything stick out to you about Welcome to the Jungle? Oh, actually, like even just hearing the the story about why this song came to pass, mm-hmm. I had like noticed at the beginning of each of the verses, um, like right after Welcome to the Jungle, it had said something different. So it's like Welcome to the Jungle, we 
We've got fun and games, and then Welcome to the Jungle, we take it day by day, and then Welcome to the Jungle, it gets worse here every day. <laughs> and it's just kind of that, like, like even you just saying, right, like, the chrome, or not the chrome, the shininess of the 80s is coming off, and even in, in how it deteriorates, right? Like, hey, we got fun and games, there's always something fun to do here, yeah, but then, like, the look next forward one, to. and then, like... But making it feel like gambling, right? Like, we've got fun in games. Like, you go to <laughs> Vegas for the first time not knowing that you shouldn't spend all your money. And yeah. then the next one, like, we take it day by day. Like, you've lost everything, but you're like, we're so- maybe not everything. And I can get back. There's always luck in the new city. Or we're just, and like, then- we're living it now. It's like, oh, man, we're just we're just trying to get by, man. We're just trying to make, you know, paycheck to paycheck, bro. Yeah, and then the last one is, is get worse. it gets worse every day. Like, yeah, just... um expect to be alive and anything other than that would be an uh, added to that is a blessing don't count on more for that so i just thought it was like that felt very oh hold on a second the song the song's gonna end it's gonna bring you down (laughs) you know i never really looked at this song in that way but to me it's almost like a musical like parallel to the 80s itself right mm. so first verse welcome to the jungle we got fun at games right i always think of the the at least in hindsight I'm, i i was i didn't i didn't wasn't born in the 80s i'm looking back at the like cultural like narrative that's grown about the 80s right at the beginning of the 80s oh man ronald reagan just got became president um the 70s are over the 70s was terrible we have a lot to look forward to um economic boom Trickle-down economics is going to be great. We can do this, right? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of optimism in the early 80s. You yeah, get yeah, songs yeah. like, walking on sunshine. <laughs> you know, like, so everyone's super excited. And it's like new technology and new things, capitalism, right? The market's crazy. And, and, and then slowly as the 80s goes on, it's like, oh, oh. It's yeah. not what we thought it was going to be. Things are worse than they were before. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm poor. Oh man, the cities are terrible. Oh man, I can't trust the government. Oh man, you know, it's just like a lot of, and then by 87, everyone's aware. It's like, yeah, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's, the sheen's gone. Yeah. That's that's the best way to describe it. And that's what this this song represents that perfectly. Even as you're talking, I'm thinking it represents 2020. (laughs) Like at the beginning of the year, everyone was like, oh, we're going to be in the roaring 20s, guys. It's going to be fun and games. And here we are in August. People are like, yeah, bring me to my knees. Yeah, 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 I'm on my knees. Praying. Welcome to the jungle, baby. (laughs) Oh, man. And it's just like, okay. People are like, please let it get better. And he was like, no, no, no. This is going to be 10 years of this. Yeah. Um, I have a funny story about Welcome to the Jungle and like a homeless man telling it to Axel as as soon as he gets out of a bus uh, to scare him, right? Uh Uh-huh. I worked at a little company you may know called UPS for several years. Um, I started out working in the warehouse loading trailers with my hands. Um, It it was literally one of the, the hardest things I ever did in my life. Mm-hmm. Like physically, mentally, it was terrible, right? I remember my first day taking a tour of the facility, of the warehouse, right? I get walked out to the dock house where all the trailers are packed, backed up, you know? And I had gotten there a little later, so the shift had already started and all these. And so you're walking to this dock house and you like walk past just a series of bay doors. And you right. look in and you just see – it's almost like looking in the zoo. 
you just see like different dudes in these trailers like loading up boxes you know stacking <clears throat> them up and you just like they just like turn and look at you and it's kind of scary it's like oh this guy like these big buck Fresh dudes meat. yeah that's that's what it almost like going to prison it's like everyone's looking out of their cell and um I'm getting a tour by the supervisor and I walk past like the fourth bay door a dude or no no the first, like the second, by the second bay door, one of the guys yells like something like "fresh meat, new hire" or something like that, right? And then the guy in the fourth bay door runs to the front, looks at me, and says, "Welcome to the jungle, kid." <laughs> that was a real thing that happened. Oh man! If you ever write your expose on that company, you should definitely lead with that. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's it. Was it was quite an interesting experience. Just like, uh, but you know, unlike the '80s, UPS was terrible from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, talk about how quickly the band got through this song. Um, according to Slash, the song was written in three hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I can understand that. It's a lot of vocalization, but not as much as some stuff we'll talk about later in this episode. But it's a it's a solid song. Oh yeah, it's a solid three hour song. <laughs> It's, it's, it's especially when you're saying like it's not written in three like it's more than solid I think the, when you say when I say like written in three hours I think lyrics but I feel like Slash is like lyrics musicality timing tempo and I'm like three hours holy crap and, and he, could, he could just be talking about the music too like musically uh, like they wrote the riff and the solos and got it all done in three hours right right and then added lyrics on top of it right that's typically what you're supposed to do yeah <laughs> either way it's like for, it, it, I think sometimes, like, the best songs are created out of that, like, you know, time constraint, right? Yeah. It's like musical brilliance, like, just it, they just came to them like that, right? Yeah. This song has been voted, like, the best hard rock song of all time. Like, VH1 had it on their countdown. Mm. Beat out songs like Back in Black by ACDC. I'm going to start, like, marking down how many times you <laughs> you call back to VH1. Hey, man, I watch a lot of VH1. <laughs> it's that... And freaking G4. <sighs> yeah. That's, that's What else was there in, in the mid-2000s for a teenage boy? Oh, okay. Well, if you hadn't said boys, I would have said Sailor Moon. But also, Sailor Moon, teenage boy. Sailor Moon. I wasn't an anime fan. That's true. Uh, something we haven't done until now, but we will now, is discuss the music video. Oh, yeah. So, um, we, we'll, 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 from time to time, if the song calls for it, we'll talk about the music video, um, if it's important enough. You know, like, Bon Jovi had some music videos, right? But, you know, most of the time it's just them on stage, you yeah. know, playing the song. And because maybe... that was the trend back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Very simple. Music videos had just begun, begun a thing. Right, you know, and I, I, I doubt friggin' Megadeth even had a music video. Fair. Right? Whitney had a pretty iconic music video for what we talked about. We just didn't, we just decided not to yeah. look at it. But in the future, we will do that. If the song calls for it, we'll talk about the music video. Welcome to the Jungle's music video. It's great. Yeah. It's... He's got silky hair like a mermaid <laughs> until he teases it the teasing was the thing that was just like Meh. but <laughs> silky silky mermaid hair um so <laughs> that's what i took from it <laughs> and somebody was wearing some really nice pants not slash who was the other guy izzy straddlin uh-huh. ba- he had some the, great pants rhythm guitar i enjoyed his pants um <laughs> that sounds so weird I but i was just like oh, i'd wear those he's a good looking guy i guess i didn't see his face oh, okay. a lot of hair um, so as far as the story quote of the music video goes, it's basically just mirrors Axl Rose's story. Kid gets off a bus 
you know, he's country boy looking guy, gets off a bus into a new city, looks around, he's like, I don't, I'm, I, he looks a little scared, sheepish. He immediately gets kidnapped by, like, G-Men and put into a chair and is forced to watch, like, scary, like, video screens that mm. show, like, just the filth and disgust of the world. Yeah. You know, like, armed conflict, riots, mm. and all this, you know, crazy stuff. And he's, like, you know, got a straight jacket on. He's being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, indoctrinated. Tortured. <laughs> Tortured, yeah, in a way. And then, he, at the end of the music video, he's released and he's now full-on 80s rocker. Yeah. The kind of guy you would see, you know, in Hollywood in 1987 on the street. Um, it, it, it's just an interesting music video. It's yeah. just like, it tells the story of the song. It's like, hey man, you live on these streets long enough, they'll You'll change you. will become the streets. Yeah. Um, beautiful, beautiful hair. I honestly was very caught up in the hair. Okay. Um, it was, like, it did, it fellow, fellowed... English is so hard, kids. It followed the song very well, so I, I yeah, I thought it was a, it was a solid music video. I don't think I have very much That's else fine. to say. About I, I have it, some though. interesting facts. Uh, the video was directed by a man named Nigel Dick, who also directed the Britney Spears music video "Baby One More Time." Oh. I don't remember which one that one is. That where That's, she's a schoolgirl yes. or in the red. Uh, no. no okay. That's oops. I did it again. <laughs> either either way, it's 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 quite a quite a career that man's had. Um, Geffen Records wanted the music video on MTV, but the network was like, uh, "Yeah, we don't want to run that. It's too uh, too provocative." I mean, I guess there was ladies in it. So David Geffen, you know, uh, of Geffen Records, made a deal with MTV. So that the video could only be played between 5 a.m. Or, sorry, between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. Oh. So, you know. On God's day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too productive. Basically, they wanted to hide it from people. Yeah, They're yeah, They're like, yeah. we'll play it. That's fine. But no one's going to see it. Well, it turns out people did see it. Because plenty of people were up during that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, despite the airtime, apparently uh, viewers, like, watched it and it became MTV's most requested video. <laughs> because people were like, where's that video? We can only see it 5 a.m. on Sunday. We want to see it now. And, and there you go. So, that's uh, interesting. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. Let's move on. Oh, so, wait. I have a question. Yes. So, in the lyrics, it says, Welcome to the jungle. Uh, watch it, bring it to your shun-na-na-na-na-knees, knees, knees. What is a shun-knees? Why does it say shun-knees? No, he says shun-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-knees. Yes. I think it's just... Just vocalization? Yeah. Okay, because it literally, in the lyrics when it's written down, it's like the word shun. Like, shun, pariah, and I'm like, what? And then N over and over. shun na 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 knees It's like how a certain singer would go, jamona. You know? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Okay, just double checking because yeah. I was like, what the crap? I wrote that down. It's like, what is Shun Knees? Oh, wait. One more thing about yes. this song. That is, uh, again, just the lyrics. Um, I really liked, lyrically, the. Mm -hmm. It's just right after the first chorus. Um, <clears throat> the second line of the second verse it just says if you want uh if you want it you're gonna bleed but that's the price to pay it has nothing to do with anything but i just really like it was an evocative thing right like yeah. like not just like it's the price you have to pay or it's the price um you need to pay but it, it's the price to pay it's the price to pay it's just excellent lyric so there you go good job axel yeah okay so um for the next song 
I was trying to decide which song I wanted to talk about, right? So the the idea was these songs are about things that are you know, like true to life, right? Mm-hmm. The things they saw living on the streets in L.A., right? We we could talk Night Train, uh, which is about beer, because they're all alcoholics. We could talk about Out to Get Me, which is about getting uh, arrested and put in prison, because they did that. <laughs> they were arrested and put in prison. We could about, talk about Mr. Brownstone, which is about heroin, because they were all heroin addicts. <laughs> How old were they? They, they like, mid-20s. Okay. Yeah, they were kids. Um, but I figured we'd talk about a song that features all of those things. Oh, gosh. It's a little song called My Michelle. Very creepy, dangerous opening there. Is it? I think so. It's in a minor chord, right? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I guess that gives off creepy, dangerous. I, my brain is. I, I don't know. This sounds to me. This this opening sounds like kind of like a prowling lion, or like you know, like a devil's advocate, like you know. And then you got this. Yeah, it sounded like a country ballad to me. Either way. There's <laughs> some heaviness right here. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I want to give the listeners a quick chance to hear just the opening, like, few lines of this okay. song. They're, they're coming in here very soon. No minced words there. <laughs> They're describing a very troubled individual. Do you have you have those lyrics written down uh, for the opening? Yes. You want to oh, you want to read, read them? Yeah, just re- read those out loud. Just people missed it. Okay. <clears throat> Your daddy works in porno. Now that uh, mommy's not around, she used to love her heroin, but now she's underground. So you stay out late at night. And you do your dope for free, driving your friends crazy with your life's insanity. Yep. <laughs> that, so that's a song about a woman named Michelle. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, a harrowing tale. You want to know where the song came from? Yes. Apparently, the song was written about a friend of the band named Michelle Young. <laughs> oh. According to Axel, he and Rose were in a car together when your song by Elton Jane... Elton John came on the radio, mm-hmm. and Young happened to mention that she always wanted someone to write a song about her. <laughs> so Axel's like, I'll write a okay. song about you. <laughs> Don't know if you'll like it. This is so much worse than freaking <laughs> yeah. um, Delilah. Would you want like someone to write no. a brutally honest song about you? No. No. There's a reason I never kept a diary. I don't even want to write brutally honest things about myself. So apparently it wasn't originally going to be a brutally honest song about Michelle. <laughs> did you know, they have the, a falling Michelle, out? But, so, you know, apparently she she uh, she did have a dad who worked in pornography. Her mom was dead. She had a drug problem. <laughs> um, so apparently Axel first tried to write like a sweet romantic song, but one that had absolutely nothing to do with Michelle's life. But just had her name in it? And, yeah. So he was kind of unhappy with it. And just rewrote it, just to be honest, just to see how it would go. And he was afraid to to, to show it to her because he was like, uh. "Good man, yeah, yeah." At least you had some worries. And then members of the band also expressed concern. They're like, uh, "Maybe, maybe don't show that to Michelle." <laughs> um, maybe we call it something else. Finally, he decided to show it to her, and she liked it. Nice. <laughs> yep. And well, it uh, sort of has an, a hopeful uplift towards the end. 
apparently she was especially pleased with its honesty. So mm. she was like, yeah, I'm down for that. Put it on the album. And he was like, cool. <laughs> I just, roughly, I wrote down like the plot, quote unquote, yeah, of yeah, the song. It. It's mom's dead from drugs. Dad works in porno. Girl stays out late partying because um, she doesn't know really how to cope with it any other way because youth is hard. Finally, she sees that's not what she wants from her life and works to build something more for herself, question mark. Because towards the end, I'm like, it almost feels like it's having like an uplift kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, she'll get there. Or she's working at getting there. Just like we all are. Just like we all are. There's a verse in here, though, that I'm like, oh, see ya. We take it day by day. <laughs> <sighs> so, I mean, that... When I say Guns N' Roses out there writing songs about things they saw, the, they literally were. Yeah. Drugs, uh, 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 poverty, mm. <laughs> sleaziness, it's yeah. all there. Update, according to Slash, in his autobiography, Michelle did manage to clean herself up. And hey. she's, living hap- she's living happily away from the, the lifestyle she used to live. So, good job, Michelle. Good job, Michelle. You didn't become a Diana. <laughs> or a Karen. We don't know that. (laughs) Um. Oh, there's a line in the third verse. It says, everyone needs love. You know, that's uh, everyone needs love. You know, that is it's true. Someday you'll find someone that'll fall in love with you. But oh, the time it takes when you're all alone. And (laughs) legit, just that like someday you'll find someone that'll fall in love with you. Like, I had to read that several times because it just hits a little different because it's not like, one day you'll fall in love. It's like, uh, one day you'll find someone who's willing to put up with you that I, I think will fall in love That's with the thing. You. Like, I feel like especially that line right there, it's like, he's poking fun at Michelle. Like, mm-hmm. he even says, like, you're slight insanity, you mm-hmm. right? And it's, I think he's just, ha- he's having fun with a friend. It's like, yeah, yeah, hey, no, I didn't. He's like, oh yeah, that girl, she's a little crazy. Yeah, like, I'm not, like, saying it as a, like, well, I know it's about a person, but I think in general, it's just like, ooh, that line, it's just, ooh, ooh, she liked the song, so it's fine, but it was just, like, that is a very specific way to write it. I, again, appreciate the writing of it, rather than saying, you'll find love someday, it's like, somebody will put up with you, because yeah. honestly, that's what a relationship really is. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Nope. Hey, speaking about relationships... Let's talk about the next song. Because, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you got a crazy off-the-wall album, song with, you know, drugs and sex and violence, right? You got to have a nice song in there to, like, kind of pad it out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially one that the studio probably wants to sell as a single. So just <laughs> take a little break. We're going to listen to a sweet little song called Sweet Child O' Mine. Oh, listen to that. Hey. That's a classic riff right there. I remember I, I went and saw Guns N' Roses in 2017. Um, it was after the, the original lineup had reunited for the mm-hmm. most part. And uh, this song came on and people went unglued. They were crazy. It was like, yeah, and I, I get it. This is one of their most famous songs, if not their most famous song. And people went crazy. They wanted to hear it. As soon as the song ended, everyone bounced. Oh, wow. I was like... These guys, these people suck. They paid like 70 bucks for these tickets. And I assume maybe they all wanted it. It was like the bathroom break mm-hmm. or the go get a beer break. But I was like, seriously? Either way, I'm a true fan. I say it for every, I say it for every song. Good job. I got excited when they played the song Madagascar. Who's, who cares about that but me? <laughs> anyway, so Sweet Child of Mine, 
pretty simple song. It's a it's a love song written by Axl Rose for his then girlfriend Erin Everly, who is a very interesting character in his music. They're not together anymore. <laughs> um, and I don't think he ever got over it. Aww. I, I, there's rumors. My poor little Indiana boy. Like you know, 2008 is when Chinese Democracy came out. And people are saying that there are still songs about her on that album. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Well. Right. Here is the guitar solo. Or the first guitar solo, right? Mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends in high school who were like uh, budding guitarists, right? They were all learning to play guitar and getting there, right? Right. So I always, as a joke, would say, hey, play the guitar solo from uh, Sweet Child of Mine, right? And they would just play that bit. <laughs> do, 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 do. And I was like, no, no, no. This one. Right, the one that's a little bit more uh, technically uh, difficult. Challenging. Yeah. But definitely more bluesy. Or this one right here. This one right here. I was like, no, no, play this part. And they're like, oh man, I can't do that. I want you to reach out to those friends again right now to see if they've kept up with it and be like, hey, play this. Yeah. They can play the (laughs) doo-doo-doo. The three notes. Anyway, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was saying I was um, driving back home yesterday and I was listening to my music and um, a song from Nell, Colors in Black, popped up called A to Z, which, um, because I had been thinking about um, all this episode uh-huh. bef- before I was driving, uh, and that song is also a song that is for someone, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Because when I was looking through this, I was thinking it was like so interesting. I wrote down that it's sonic, sonnet-esque. It's not at all like a sonnet, but just kind of like ode to a person. And I was thinking about like, why are all like love songs from men to women like hit certain points? And it's, I had written down it's, like, it's all it's, about their physical. Yeah. And so it's just like, um, smile, her face, specifically her eyes. Um, and her hair, like, and I was just like, yeah, that seems about, like, what I hear in general, like, mm, but uh, to, like, no offense to you, Axel, listening to um, it, Nell's A to Z, like, it was literally about a bunch of stuff. It's like, like, I like your small hands. Um, I like uh, how you wrinkle your nose when you drink coffee. I like that you blah, 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 things like that. So I was just kind of, like, comparing them. So, like, as songs that are about, like, not like this is like a reason why I love you, but it is like a little bit like it's a it's a song that's supposed to be about a lover yeah. and the things that stick out to you. And I'm just kind of like hair that reminds me of a warm, safe place. That's weird. That I was gonna uh, that was gonna be the because the other ones make sense. Like I you know eyes like the blue skies, right? You're mm-hmm. Clear whatever it is. You know, yeah. she's got eyes of the blue skies, right? Yes. Um and and uh, a smile that seems to me to remind me of childhood memories. Right, all very sweet. I was like, I get it. That, that all makes sense to me. But then it was like, her hair is a warm, a warm safe place. Makes me think of like those scratchy blankets. Yeah. I've, ne- <laughs> I've never looked at a woman's hair and thought, man, I'd like to like be warm and safe in that hair. I'm really glad that you said that because we would have to have a talk off this mic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Like, yeah. Just slide into my afro. Like, I, I, well, I mean, <laughs> in 80s, hair was a much more prominent feature in a woman, I guess. Big, big 80s hair. You know? <laughs> big 80s hair. But I'm just like, mm. I'm just saying, I, I, we watched Labyrinth for 1986 movies. I, I can't say I didn't want to climb into David Bowie's hair. <laughs> That's fair. But he was the Goblin King. Right. <laughs> he should have, if Axel had written a song about David Bowie from Labyrinth, he's like, oh, man. his Honest- bulges. <laughs> oh, gosh. But honestly, there was moments in that music video. His bulge reminds me of that one safe place. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Gag. Oh, I apologize. Shit. Oh, no. I was going to say, in that music video, he had moments where he made me think of David Bowie as the Goblin King. I was yeah. just like, ah, hmm. But, um, yeah. Ew. Don't bolt. Oh, it's never going to leave my brain. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like. Anyway, it's a not... It's it's a it's a good song. It's a catchy yeah. song. It's something that it obviously is so easy to sing with, sing along with, and that like capture the hearts of many, yeah. even if they're not a rock fan. But as a an ode to a lover, it kind of is lame. I get it. Um, and and you know, it definitely has like the one of the most like recognize like instantly recognizable riffs. Yeah, you know, guitar riffs in music history, like right. So, interesting story behind that riff. Apparently, Slash hated it. <laughs> because during a jam session, they were all just, you know, writing some songs or whatever, playing jokes, having some fun, and they were all warming up, and Slash started to play what he thought was a circus melody. Like <laughs> a circus music? Mm-hmm. And it was this. That's what he thought was circus music, mm. right? And it was supposed to be like, you know, but this is his version of it. And he's like making faces at the at the drummer, and you know it was just all a big, a big joke. Yeah, Izzy Stradlin, who's sitting off to the side, he looks up and says, "Hey, play that again." <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they've got a song on their hands. Like <laughs> Izzy's writing, you know, like complimenting uh, guitar, and and you know Stephen Adler's playing the drums to it, and, it's, and and then Axel's writing. He's upstairs in like the loft, like just hanging out, and he hears this song, and he starts writing lyrics about his girlfriend. <laughs> And the song just came together. Oh, man. Yep. Maybe that should have been a sign that, I mean, he wrote he wrote a love song to what was supposed to be circus music. Was his love life a circus? Maybe. Oh, no! <laughs> Either way, like, I'm glad they stuck with it. Yeah. It, it's, it's like the perfect riff. Um, it's just funny that it was a joke song first. <laughs> so where do we go? Where do we go now? Where do we go? To the jungle. Next song we're going to talk about... Oh, it's the last song. Yep. Last song on our set here um, is the last song on the album, and it's called Rocket Queen. Kind of a lesser-known song. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a single, new music video, or anything like that. Um, It's actually the longest song on the album, I think, other than maybe Paradise City. Mm. Um, But... I don't know. I, I, I think, like, this song is, like, an unsung hero, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that it has... So, some of my favorite music is, like, dynamic music. I like music that changes, like, yeah, go, yeah. goes in a flow, like, has peaks and valleys, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the beginning of the song sounds completely different from the end of the song, right? And this song has it. It starts off with this, like, very hard rock riff. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just kind of a driving almost like a punky you know kind of kind of rock song right punk yeah a little bit of acdc in there like it's just you know just a very basic but just solid rock song right mm. and then here's the chorus but you know it's just it's just easy to sing to it's a good song right yeah um and then by the end of the song it's compl- it sounds completely different <laughs> Uh, it has like a very like, I don't know, very like soft like ballady, like power ballady, mm-hmm. 
outro, which is really nice. A little nice. more melancholic. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there at the end. But um, opening the song, I'm sure you've got the lyrics up. I do. What do you got? Anything, anything, anything stick out to you? Yes. What do you got? Actually, um, the whole first, most of the first uh, verse, uh-huh. I really like. But also, I was just like, oh, man, this would read great as, like, a dramatic reading. Oh, yeah? That's, yeah. Hey, let's do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this down mm. for a second because I, I don't want to... I don't want to uh, skip too far ahead into the song so people mm-hmm. can hear all the, the movements, but... I feel like it can be read as dramatically because it feels almost like a scene that you would see, I'm thinking, even though I've never seen that movie, Reservoir Dogs, like, just, like, you're holding someone hostage and you're oh, saying yeah. these different... Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, Like, you can. That's not when you hear it musically, but, like, just reading it, it's just... If I say I don't need anyone, I can say these things to you. Because I can turn on anyone. Just like I've turned on you. (laughs) I've got a tongue like a razor. A sweet switchblade knife. Uh, I'm sorry! Someone else could read that better, I'm sorry. No, you're doing fine. No, that's that's literally it, just that part. (laughs) Woo! I mean, I guess the last line, but still, it's just like, um, I can do... No, and I can do you favors, but then you'll do whatever I like. That one sounds very troublesome. Yeah. Just kind of like, hey, I can be your friend or I can be your enemy. You decide. And so I just really like it. That part. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> so who who is the Rocket Queen? Honestly, I was really going to say because I, I wrote, I was like, I'm not positive I know what the song is about. Um, well, uh, Axel said that he wrote it about a girl who was a friend of the band's, and she was going to have her own rock band called Rocket Queen. Hmm. And, uh, he, quote, said, she can she kind of kept me alive for a while. So, I don't know. He was just like a, huh. a bright light in his life, I guess. So While he was song. dating Peggy Aaron, Sue? Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? According to the booklet for Appetite to Destruction, though, uh, there's a credit at the end that says, Barbie, Rocket Queen... Von Grief. So apparently people started to say that Barbie Von Grief or Von Greff was the Rocket Queen the song's about, right? Yeah. So people dug into it and they said, okay, who is Barbie Von Grief? Um, Slash said that Von Grief was an 18-year-old who had a notorious reputation and was, quote, a queen of the underground scene back then. She'd eventually become a madam. And Axel was... Axel was infatuated with her. Got it. Maybe. So I don't know if she was a prostitute or or what, but la- lady of the night. Um, <clears throat> I I don't know. When I think madam, I think really, 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 really bad thing, or like a dominatrix, <laughs> uh, which is not to the really, 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 yeah. really bad thing. Um, is also not necessarily a prostitute. So I don't know. Maybe she was a nighttime vigilante. I don't know, but that's the Rocket Queen. Um, so let's let's continue on with the song here. This is not safe for work, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you have your phones, put them in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right after this chorus here, we start like kind of like the the jam, the kind of extended jam section of the song, right? Yeah. In the, the guitar solo, right? But take a listen. I'm going to turn it up. What does that sound like? 
the guitar. Uh-huh. What, anything else? Smoker. What is that? A puppy. <laughs> leave, leave the children alone. Let the kids put their ears away. What, what do you hear? Wrestling. Hey, <laughs> yeah, you can't hide that. It's definitely wrestling. No, it's sex noises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, this this song. Kids, is... it's time for bed. Go away. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the the guitar solo from Rocket Queen features a uh, very realistic sounding sex noises, and it's spawned a lot of speculation. It's like, what's all this about, right? Mm-hmm. So when I said a little earlier, hey, being in the the studio with with Guns N' Roses was probably a bit of a wild ride. Yeah. Because, um, you know, they'd have these crazy ideas like, hey, we want some sex noises in this guitar solo. So here's how it went down. Oh, dear. Um, Adriana Smith, who was seeing drummer Steven Adler at the time, visited the mixing sessions uh, in New York City one night. Axl Rose posi- propositioned her that they have sex in the recording booth. Why? Uh, so that they can put... The sounds over the bridge of the song. It was all artistic, you see. No! 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 She agreed to do it. What? For the band. Adriana! And for a bottle of Jack Daniels. I'm sad. I'm sorry. We will not be naming our daughter Adriana. No. (laughs) I'm kidding to any Adriana out there. I'm sorry. So either way, this is a very, like, unorthodox thing to happen in a mixing studio. What? What did the drummer think? Apparently he said that they weren't dating. So it was oh. like, it's like, yeah, we're seeing each other, but we're not dating. Oh. Whatever, Axel, you know. Um, Wasn't Axel dating Peggy? Guys, fidelity is important. They're stupid kids. like right. Children, if you grow rock, up to be rock stars, stuff. fidelity is important. <laughs> so anyway. Listen to your mother. So um, this was very unorthodox. And uh, engineer Michael... Barbiero did not want anything to do with it. Good job. So he just set up some microphones and, and left. He left. And he left his assistant to take care of it. The assistant said that the studio was, quote, like a Ron Jeremy set. And that he even had to enter the booth at one point to adjust the microphone. No. <laughs> that one, because they crashed no, into no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like it. No, it's just. Mm. What is this history? This makes sense now as to why when you were doing the notes for this and I was sitting in here watching something that you're just like, this is crazy. These guys are wild. What? He's like, no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when we're recording. Jeez. I was like, so my my thesis here is they did what they wrote about. Like they lived the life. Okay, they're not they're not making stuff up. This is not a fantasy that they're writing about. All this stuff happened. They're writing about heroin because they did a bunch of heroin. They're writing about alcohol because they drank a lot of alcohol. They wrote about sex because they had a lot of sex. This is why I like fiction. <laughs> I'm just saying. This is, nonfiction is not worth yeah. it. <laughs> I'm just saying some of the most like some of the best rock music comes from one's authentic experiences. No, this album is authentic as all heck. No. Anyway. Um, Let's let's let this song play. We'll get to the end. There. It's a little bit more chill, you know. After the please skip all the sounds yeah. of Adriana. <laughs> here we go. It's, it's ramping up. Right here, it's ramping up. 
seems very, it's very like, I don't know, very pleasant, this, this part of the song. What? It's euphoric. <laughs> the climax has come, and now you're in, it's euphoric. <laughs> anyway, Axel, a little sweet sentiment about this last part of the song. He said that it was a message to the Rocket Queen, or to anyone else who got something out of it, saying that there's hope and a friendship at the end of, like, there's a note of hope and friendship at the end of the song. <laughs> hey, man, there's meaning here. Really, all I'm thinking is, like, hey, Rocky Queen, I wrote a song about you, and you're such a good friend that I got laid because of it. Yeah. Okay, <sighs> anyway, so, um, <laughs> before we close this segment out, we got to talk about the St. Louis incident. Why? Okay. Axl Rose is notorious for being uh, very temperamental during live shows, okay? Mm-hmm. He has a reputation for always showing up late. Um, I think... If we you, could not be friends. If we go to a Guns N' Roses show, um, like if anyone goes to a Guns N' Roses show, expect to not listen to Guns N' Roses until at least midnight. What? Yeah. You, Ooh, you better so, take your friend. You better take your friend because your wife ain't going. <laughs> no, so I went and I saw Guns N' Roses once in 2012, and uh, there were two opening acts. The opening acts ended, and we sat there for, I think, two hours before they came on. That's just the way he operates. Axel Jameson Rose, look here. If people are coming to your house and you've made a party, you've got... We could not be friends. I would not. No. Anyway, and then I, I hate this guy. And then when I saw just them in 2017, like the the doors open was like 10 p.m. or something like that because they knew Axel wouldn't come on stage until he was ready. Um, he is famous for ending shows prematurely if there's something he doesn't like. Um, for ex- for example, if the sound's not right, or he's just not feeling it, he'll just end the show. And upset, like upset the, his fans. Sounds like the kind that would prematurely. Yeah, there's like a famous story. I think, I believe they did a show with Metallica, right? Metallica came on first, and James Hetfield of Metallica stepped into pyro on accident. He burned. He got like you know severe burns. Had to go to the hospital. They had to end the show. Valid reason. Singer can't sing. He just had to go to the hospital. Yeah. Guns N' Roses then played. Axel got upset. Left early. The fans weren't happy. <laughs> So that's the kind of guy he is, okay? So I'm just going to play a clip here of them performing Rocket Queen. I don't even have the date. That's fine. He never has a date either. I'm never going to say anything nice about this guy again. I'm looking up current pictures of him so that I can... He looks like he looks like Chris Jericho. <laughs> yeah, he does look like I think, well, a I champion. Think, I was like, the champion is Chris Jericho is trying to look like Axl Rose, oh, I think. Jericho, have a better idol. Okay, anyway, so here, the, here we go, right here. Rocket Queen, that's the chorus. Sound familiar? Yeah. He is singing the chorus to Rocket Queen, scanning the crowd, just having a good time. He sees a, a fan in the audience with a video camera. Like a video cassette camera, like a camcorder from like the late eighties. Uh-huh. He's he yells at security, take that, take that. No one gets it, so he says, I'll take it. And he jumps into the crowd and starts brawling with a fan. But why? 
and you can still hear the band still going. Heroin? Right? He's he, there. Like this is all on camera. Oh. He he's like fronting with a fan. It just punches him in the face. Then he gets back on stage, right here. Well, thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. And they leave. <laughs> it's it's all on YouTube. You gotta go look that up. Rocket Queen live, Guns N' Roses. Axel <sighs> Axel melts down. I just. <laughs> so the rest of the show was canceled. Causing the crowd to vandalize the arena and surrounding property, leading leading to a riot and the eventual arrest of one Axel Rose. <laughs> I do not like him, Sam. I am. There's a reason. I, I think there's a reasons why, like a lot of people, don't continue to work with him professionally. Ugh. Like, yeah, he's he's gone through so many band members. You know. I just. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's Rocket Queen. <laughs> <laughs> That's appetite for destruction because apparently hey. he wants to destroy everything in his life. Hey, I got I got some I got some reception here. Legacy of Appetite okay. for Destruction. Appetite for Destruction debuted at number 182 on the Billboard 200. It did not chart it did not hit the top of the chart until August 6, 1988. It was a slow burn a little bit, mm-hmm. right? It, people had to realize they were playing Welcome to the Jungle at 1 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> um the album spent four different non-consecutive weeks at number one. As of now, it is the best-selling debut album of all time by mm. any musical artist, as well as the 11th best-selling album of all time in the United States overall. Oh. That's its current thing. Um, c- uh, contemporary reviews were not kind to Appetite for Destruction. Mm. Um, I think people were a little, like, whiplashed by it, you know, caught off guard. Um, Wait, Whiplash as in, like, the car crash or Whiplash the movie? Because we we do use that as an adjective. No, 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 the car crash. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think they, people, I think, thought it was a little too crass, mm. like a little too sleazy. Some reviewers complained that its massive success with consumers was fostered by the taboo of sex, drugs, and rock and roll during the 1980s. Mm. So they were just like, ah, they're just, you know, they're selling sex and drugs, you know, this... <laughs> Why did you say Devil that? Devil music. I don't know. You said that like you were like an 80s housewife. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's what I picture, you oh, know? Oh, gee. So, yeah, it was just like, it's just not wholesome. <laughs> not wholesome oh, music. Kerrang! Magazine, they had the right idea, though. They claimed that, quote, rock is at last being wrestled from the hands of the bland, the weak, the jaded, the tired, the worn, and being thrust back into the hands of the real raunch rebels. And I'm like, yes! That should be the true legacy of Appetite for Destruction. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's Appetite for Destruction, ladies and gentlemen. Any yeah. closing thoughts? Would you recommend it? Yeah. Um, I am very much a person who is able to be like, Separate the art from the artist. So as an album, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's solid. I don't really care f- more naturally. I don't really care for um, rock, rock, this kind of rock and stuff like that. But like, it's an easy album to like, yeah. it was definitely one of the easier ones there. It makes sense that it's one of the best selling rock albums, period. Um don't go to a concert and give money to Axl Rose. If you're not prepared a- for the uh, for, for some unpredictability. Uh, next time you ask, next time you're like, "Hey, there's a concert in town." I'm like, "Who is it?" If you say Metallica, you can go. If you say Guns N' Roses, you're not giving money to him. <laughs> We're not doing it. Watch it on YouTube. 
Um, I will say if you've listened to Welcome to the Jungle or Sweet Child of Mine or Paradise City on the radio and you say, hey, that's a good song, listen to the whole album. It's very fun. Yeah. But be prepared for some like... Sex, drugs, and death. Yeah, like very on-the-nose like content. Yeah. Guess, you know. It, it, it deserved its uh, parental advisory sticker at the time. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's that. We're going to go out with the close of Rocket Queen. And uh, we'll see you on the other side with Jess's album from 1987. What's what? Oh, what's that? What's coming in? <laughs> what is that? What is that? Chica, chica. Those are <laughs> those are the sultry tones of one Michael Jackson. One Michael Jackson. You, you want... know, randomly, that just made me think of something that you might cut out right now. I was like, we should do one on our Twitter. It's like, hey, next year, next year's episode is coming out. Quick, give me a, a guess of what you think yeah. our album is. That'll be fun. But uh, yeah, that is Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. Why? Because your album from 1987 is... Bad. I mean, it's good. <laughs> it's bad. But it's bad. Released August 31st, 1987. One of the highest selling albums of all time. Just like Appetite for Destruction. The follow-up to the 1982 mega-hit thriller, we have Michael Jackson's Bad. Bad. Who's bad? <laughs> I am bad. Oh, man. Uh like we may have even more to say about this album. Like, oh, maybe like, we'll see. <laughs> the, like, they, man, just crazy that 1987 had two such big albums for the two of us. Yeah, and like from two different like spectrums. You yeah, know, you yeah, have like yeah. the hard rock resurgence, the R and B like revolution. I the guess pop. I feel yeah, like revolution. like it is a revolution of pop. Almost, yeah, you know, it's like hey man. Michael, just like Guns N' Roses, he he was experimenting with a little bit of a. A rough edge here too. You know, mm-hmm. he's drawing on the, the the disappointments of the late '80s, just like they were. You know, yeah, it's in like, a different ways. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. So tell us, what, why is this your album of '87? Because <laughs> I was born to. <laughs> <laughs> I was born to one Thomas Hatcher and Deborah Hatcher. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say their full names on here. <laughs> Either way, they they loved Michael. They, oh, my mom did. My dad likes Michael. Not like he doesn't dislike him. He likes him. I don't know that he loves him the way to my mama, 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 mama does. Wow. Let me try that again. I don't know that he loves him like my mom did um, and does. But yeah, uh, I grew up with Michael Jackson. I apparently would just sing whole 
portions of his songs at three years old while being driven to my grandma's to be babysat. Just ubiquitous. Yeah. 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 Like all the time. Like I loved Michael Jackson until I saw the Thriller music video apparently. And then there was like uh, four or five years where I was too afraid <laughs> to listen to a single. That My mom really loves to tell that story where I was just like, Michael's on, I love this song. Da, da, da. And then I watched him turn into a zombie werewolf. And yeah. I was like, nah, I'm cool, Michael. <laughs> Except with more screaming and tears. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it goes to show the difference of our two families. Um, <laughs> I was completely uh, uh, ignorant of Michael Jackson. Until he um, died. <laughs> no, okay, so I don't. I, I'll tell the story of my first encounter with Michael Jackson maybe on a later episode. Okay, look forward to that, dear listener. <laughs> um, but I, I like as a little white boy growing up in the late '80s, early '90s. Like in my sphere, Michael Jackson was the pedophile. Like, mm. I, unfortunately, like he had a lot of scandal, so he was not someone that I was like you know, kind of, like, presented with, you yeah. know? To me, it was, like, the scandal was my impression of him. So right. I just didn't understand any, right? So um, come high school when I'm starting to, like, sample music and get stuff, right? Like, um, I remember when I first got my – I got my first iPod, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, downloading music that I liked from iTunes or buying iTunes music, right? Um, I was buying Van Halen music, right? And I just typed in Van Halen and iTunes and was kind of, like, going through the different songs and I saw – Michael Jackson's Beat It <laughs> featuring Eddie Van Halen. I was like, Michael Jackson and Van Halen, right? And I, I hit it and I, I listened to Beat It. I was like, that's that's a cool song. <laughs> so I bought Beat It. But then I was too embarrassed to let people know that I had bought and oh, had Jackson. Michael Jackson on my iPod. So I didn't sync it to my iPod. Um, Isn't that weird? It's yeah. weird to look back and think that. Because that's, to me, Michael Jackson was an embarrassment. Yeah, that's weird. It's really weird to think about now. Um, yeah, yeah. The things that, that we, yeah. we did as children. Because you're like, oh, that gay guy? You know, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like something very stupid that a little kid would think. But that's yeah. that's what I was afraid of. And uh, I had heard I'd heard Beat It. I had heard Bad because Weird Al did a parody called Fat. Mm-hmm. I had heard um, th- maybe Thriller like once. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like just little bits and pieces of Michael Jackson and not enough to say like, yeah, you know, I ever listened to a full song even, Mm -hmm. right? Then he died. (laughs) Okay, actually, that's not true. So the year he died, there was an auction that he took part in. He was selling off a lot of his memorabilia. Mm -hmm. And I remember the, I was listening to morning radio, driving to high school, and they were talking about this auction. Mm -hmm. And like he was selling his his famous glove. Um, for many millions of dollars or whatever it was. And I was like, wait a minute. Is Michael Jackson cool? Like, should <laughs> I listen? And so that next day, I just dove in, downloaded a bunch of Michael Jackson songs. So I downloaded, you know, Thriller and Billie Jean and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm down with this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is fine. And and I'm not embarrassed. Uh, and, and then he died. <laughs> and then he died and it was like they played... All of his music on MTV and VH1. Mm-hmm. Check Mark. Um, VH1 <laughs> plug. Um, and I was like, no, these are fine. These are all great songs. And I was just listened to them. And from there, it was just like, you know, as I came to know more Michael Jackson songs, I just listened to them. Yeah. And it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's it. That's yeah. That's an I yeah. It's just it, it's just interesting to think about it. My my journey with Michael Jackson is so weird. Yeah. I wonder how many other people like just like young white kids who did their parents didn't listen to Michael, mm-hmm. so they weren't really like exposed to him. Mm-hmm. And their only impressions or like news of Michael was when he went through all those scandals. Yeah. So like, did they also feel embarrassed to like Michael Jackson until you know later? I don't know. Yeah. It's just know. very. It's very interesting. You have, but you have a very interesting relationship with music. You I do. tend to be, as a kid, embarrassed by music. Like, yeah. well, I'm embarrassed that I like this, so yeah. I'm never listening to music again. Right. But I think there probably were things like that, or like. I think that is on the better side of probably what people did because I can very imagine kids um, during that time period not like just like, oh, secretly liking Michael Jackson, but like outright, outrightly doing a lot of like slanderous, saying a lot of like making jokes that are not great. I I did. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm not going to deflate. That's the thing. I'm not going to. Uh, come up with excuses. It's like, yeah. you know, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like Michael Jackson jokes were a thing. Yeah, you're like, not wrong. I didn't I didn't pull a clip. I had considered it. But um, there's a scene from Scary Movie 3, oh. which is such a – oh, gosh. I, I can't believe like, that movie exists and then I watched it and it laughed at it. Like, it's so stupid. That movie scared me. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I had a friend who was also scared of that movie. But Scary Movie 3, which is like the bad parody movie of like Scream and Signs and all that stuff. There's a scene where a Michael Jackson lookalike like appears and scares a child and like his nose falls off. And it's like this very like Mm -hmm. bottom feeder, lowest common denominator making fun of Michael Jackson. You know, and that was the most that was the most hilarious thing to me. Yeah. You know, but it was like, no, like we'll talk about it here with this album. It's like Michael Jackson didn't like like. To, like to be treated that way. Yeah, he was a human being. And yeah, he, and he had a lot of like mental problems because of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, not just this stuff. Yeah, but it didn't help. It didn't um, help. But yeah, so that it's just yeah, it's an interesting. It's interesting the the difference between our upbringings, where you know, yeah, for where you, I was, it was raised like, on Michael. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like all that to be said, it's not like I was like unaware of things like that, but I think the conversations were just different about it. Yeah. And to me, it was like I didn't have the music to equal it out. You know, I didn't yeah. have the music to be like, oh, no, it's good music. It's fun. No, no. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about little Michael. Hey, but Michael, uh, he's still little. Um, little. He's, his nose is different. Yeah. He's still brown. All right. Michael Jackson. Storied history. Thrust into the show business at the age of six as a member of the Jackson Five alongside his brothers. Yep. His, uh, his father, Joe, was like, I see money in them kids. <laughs> Yeah, he did. And uh, the Jackson Five were uh, signed to Motown Records in 1968, produced a string of top 40 hits. Um, And then um, during that time, Michael released four solo records with Motown, Mm -hmm. kind of alongside the the Jackson Jackson Five music. It was just like, he he was even nominated for an Oscar for the song Ben. Ben? Ben. Mm. He has a friend like Ben. (laughs) 1975, the Jackson 5, minus Brother Jermaine, left Motown for Epic Records, changing their name to the Jacksons. That was like a copyright thing. Mm-hmm. But if you had to guess, when do you think Michael Jackson left the Jackson 5? When, when did Thriller come out? Thriller came out in 1982. I'm going to say 83. Michael didn't leave the Jackson until 84. Oh, I almost said only, I almost 
never said 84. Yeah, which is kind of weird. I think most people would think, oh, yeah, he left the Jacksons before Off the Wall in 1979. No, no. He was with them until 84. <laughs> um, you know, despite releasing uh, two little solo albums called Off the Wall and Thriller, the latter of which became, uh, became the highest selling album of 1983 and then of all time. Uh... <laughs> From 1983 to 1985... Michael achieved superstardom, becoming ubiquitous in 80s culture through commercials, television appearances, theme park attractions like... Captain EO? Captain EO. Oh, gosh. And uh, the We Are the World charity single. Oh, yeah. Michael was everywhere. (laughs) And everybody loved him. Um, Michael finally left the Jacksons after their disastrous victory tour. Oh, yeah. Man, I wish... I I don't know if I have the time to talk about the victory tour. It's... Look it up, ladies and gentlemen. It is... (laughs) Wild. Um, everything that could go wrong during during a music tour went wrong. It was like they said Macbeth. Yeah. Like, maybe one day we could just do an episode just talking about the victory tour. It's crazy. Anyway, so he left the band and finally set out to produce a follow-up to Thriller on his own, without his brothers, without his dad. Just him. Mm-hmm. And that was bad. That was bad. But also, it was good. <laughs> So, yeah, Bad is essentially Michael's first album fully independent as a solo artist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do want to say before we, like, jump into the actual song. So, I know that we said this in the first half of the episode. This is the first time, like, we're going to talk about music videos. And that's specifically because I was, like, we were looking through the list. And I I was trying to decide, like, what four songs we were... Well, I knew knew there was definitely one that I was going to talk about. But we were trying to decide like our lineup of what we were going to talk about and i was looking through it and i was like wait a minute does every song on this album have a music video it's like all the but, answer is no all but all three. but one oh, all but one all but one have a music video and there's what 13 songs in this yeah, album yeah so yeah it was like we had if, if we're going to talk about michael jackson music we have to talk about the videos alongside yeah. the songs and so what we did honestly was like one day we uh i just like put together um a playlist on youtube from beginning to, from first song to last song we just watched through all of the music videos which was like different it was interesting it was interesting because i definitely haven't seen some of them and we'll talk about the specifics here in as as we go through the song let's just jump in okay yeah yeah we opened with smooth criminal let me let me start that song back up i was definitely singing the song all morning oh yeah you instantly start head wagging yeah man michael makes you want to dance um Every song, like the whole album, All of Bad, was produced by Michael alongside longtime collaborator Quincy Jones. Quincy! They had worked together from Off the Wall to Thriller, all the way back to uh, The Wiz. Oh, yeah. Quincy produced the music for The Wiz. Him and Michael met, and they were like fast friends. So, uh, yeah, this is Smooth Criminal. I, I got a funny story about hearing Smooth Criminal for the first time. Well, not the first time. <laughs> Do you want to guess what the first time I heard the song was? No. I'm scared. It was the year 2000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alien I, I, Ant Farm. I'd be remiss if I didn't play the Alien Ant Farm version of Smooth Criminal. <laughs> <laughs> these these are local boys. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they, these guys... Uh, Don't tell people where we're local. Either way, either way these guys <laughs> grew up in the same town we did. Or I did. Yeah. So I remember like this version of the song first. Yeah. Um, how crazy is that? My first time hearing Smooth Criminal was because of Alien Ant Farm. Yeah, it's like covers. You okay? You okay? 
Are you okay? Alright, enough, okay? <laughs> enough of that. Are you okay, Annie? <laughs> yeah, these things are weird. Let's go Annie back let's go back to let's go back to Michael. Um different tempo. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, uh, Smooth Criminal uh, first time I actually like listened to the Michael Jackson version, I was in math class, a senior in high school. And my math teacher just put it on the radio and he was just, or put it on like the, the computer speakers and he was like, Isn't this song weird? He's thinking about a, like a, a woman getting killed. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that is weird. Yeah. And then we started like singing each other's names with the song. It's like, Rodney, are you okay? Are you okay, Rodney? <laughs> no, you're singing about my murder. I was actually thinking about um, that when I was reading back through the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, because for the most part, I just don't, not that I don't listen to Michael Jackson songs. I do. But like, they, they are like the rare thing Right, like because I listen to music for the lyrics, but Michael Jackson is like one of those rarities where like the music takes over for me, like the musicality more yeah. than the lyrics. Yeah. So I'm definitely singing along. I know the lyrics, but I don't like really listen to them. Yeah. And like reading through this, one, so much vocalization, like so much. Not not even we'll talk about a song that's like literally a whole page of just like. Ah, ah, but call it a vocal hiccup. <laughs> Just, but it's just oh, like Michael's, almost scatting. Michael sings like anime characters like Fighting. sigh. Oh yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> Michael sings like an embarrassed anime boy. <laughs> uh, but oh yeah. Anyway, I, when I was reading through this, I was thinking about how like it reads like um, the open like a crime TV show. Yeah. Like more than not just like, but like the first one is um, like if it you even watch, if you it, watch, op- it opens with a sting like. Duh. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's also because we'll talk about Moonwalker. But um but like lyrically, right? Like the first verse is um he came in through the window was a sound of a crescendo. He came into her apartment and he left blood stains on the carpet. She ran underneath the table. He could see she was unstable, so she ran into the bedroom and she was struck down. It was her doom. And it makes me think of the opening of almost is every Is that what he says? Yes. It was her doom? Yep. I always thought it was a crescendo. Does nope. he say crescendo? He says it at the oh, okay. beginning, at the okay. top of it, and then at another part he it does was her say, doom. "Yeah." And okay. another point he uses crescendo, but uh, but it's usually her fair, doom. Fair enough. Um, but like if you've watched any show, like where the murder, like it's about like let's find the murderer, like CSI or something, you see the crime happen at the beginning of the show, then the credits roll. And then the people come into the crime scene. They're like, oh, and that's exactly what it reads. The first part is like you seeing it happen. And then Annie, are you okay a bunch? And the second part, the second verse is um, there's a sign in the window that he struck you down on the crescendo. And it sounds like somebody like the Emmy is taking pictures and a detective's walked in. It's like, tell me what happened. Well, uh, there's a sign in the window that he came in through here and then he struck her down and the, the like it reads Michael gave a cold open to his song <laughs> yes like it just reads like that and it's like interesting I, I yeah. don't mind it like it's just like actually reading it and not just like being taken away from the like reading it without the music I'm yeah, just yeah. like oh, okay this is the formula for Law and Order <laughs> I'm like so it, we there's some del- deliberation. It's like, do we open with smooth criminal or do we open with bad? Because I feel like both present a similar idea, right? This is this is Michael being bad, mm-hmm. you know, with, without a better word. Um, he, like, 
thriller and off the wall were like a little bit like you know happy go lucky or you know kind of dancing dancing songs yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, songs with like Club very box. very light you know very very pop right this is like he's singing about murder yeah he's singing about like you know being bad and uh, <laughs> bad. uh proving his his worth as a tough guy right you know i feel like attempting to <laughs> may, yeah <laughs> Whether he's effective or not, I don't know. But I'm just saying he is approaching darker subject matter than yeah. um, he would earlier in his career, oh. and I feel like that's a that's just a theme of '87. It seems you know in our in yeah. our movie episodes we talked about the Brave Little Toaster being a very dark animated movie. Mm. Here we have Michael Jackson, who used to be like the the poster child for Bubblegum Soul, mm. is now like talking about how bad he is. <laughs> I'm so bad. Yeah. So it's, just, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it is. And um, I think that, like, I don't, I didn't do research, so it would be a question. Because, of, like, even the whole of, right, so, like, the music video for Smooth Criminal is part of a bigger project, which is called Moonwalker. Moonwalker. Um, which, ooh, uh, go watch the music video. It's great. Actually, watch all of the Yeah, you, you should definitely watch the music video for Smooth Criminal. You it's should. In, it's incredible. We will, this... Uh, probably Sunday. I'm going to make you watch all of Moonwalker. Honey. We will. We will. Um, but even in that, like, it's like a journey, right? Like, it, it feels like it's taking you to this like dark side. Even though, like, Smooth Criminal is like a not light, but it's well lit. <laughs> like the music video is well lit, so it's yeah. not like dark. But, like, the whole thing as you watch it is a little bit, you know, like, there's a gun suddenly and different things like that. People are dying. People are dying, but it's still, like, it's weird because he straddles this line of, like, it's a dark concept, but it's still so light. Also, if you watched the music video, I was saying this when we were watching it together, we're like, I would love to see somebody, like, reshoot this whole thing as a one-shot. Yeah. You would be- miss, you wouldn't get some some iconic shots because of how things are happening, but I, like, think it would be so beautiful to see this yeah. done as a one shot but um so like that's the thing like if you just l- read the lyrics of of smooth criminal like it's definitely very like uh macabre you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um but then the music video presents it more as like i don't know like comic booky you know yeah or like just cool like it's cool to be bad you know for bad for smooth criminal yeah yeah it, it's cool to be like a gangster yeah like, this, like seedy like club and you're shooting people up and yeah you know it, you can it's, be you can be hard and i don't know like i know what you're saying yeah. but putting it so either way like this for michael jackson this is the album where he grew up i feel like you mm. know like um like fully like he's he's a man now <laughs> and he's gonna sing about man things <laughs> how old was he about this time uh just about 30 okay, okay. yeah yeah that's when we start to become adults yeah yeah um, so, I mean, we talked about, a lot about the music video. Um, music video premiered October 13th, 1988. It was released as part of the, the 1988 straight-to-video film Moonwalker, directed by Colin, Ch- Colin Chilvers, who had, who had done extensive special effects work in Hollywood, including movies like uh, Superman, the iconic Superman from 1980. It was, uh, it, was yeah. a, it was a watershed moment for special effects to make uh... Superman fly. Either way, so yeah, he, he just stepped, <laughs> he stepped in to, to direct. So that's pretty cool. Um, the 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 movie or sorry, the music video has like a Godfather aesthetic, kind of like a '30s or '20s gangster look. Yeah, you know, with fedoras 20s. and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, Michael apparently at first wanted to do a western, but then after he watched The Godfather, he said, "No, let's do a gangster instead." 
Yeah. Good choice. He walked into like a speakeasy. Yeah. It was, and it, and and that look has now become like iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the look of the Smooth Criminal video mm-hmm. um, went on to inspire the Michael Jackson Moonwa- Moonwalker games. That were released on Sega Genesis and other platforms. Uh, the opening level, you play as Michael in the fedora, <laughs> rescuing children at the speakeasy. I have, uh, I have this. Oh gosh, is that? That's Sega Genesis right there. <laughs> oh. I, I, I kind of, I, I dig it, man. I love it. I love the freaking. I'm glad we're not doing video game episodes. Hey, if you want to if you want to see that, let us know or hear that. No, please, I would love to do that. No, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? You've never played this game. I haven't, but it, it's really funny to watch. Uh, like watch some gameplay footage of that. It's great. And then Michael, kind of, you know, was known for innovating with his dance moves. Yeah. The Moonwalker, sorry, not Moonwalker, but the uh, Smooth Criminal video featured the anti graveling yeah. Where they, like, lean forward in such a way that looks physically impossible. Um, and it's iconic. Apparently, to achieve it during the video, they just used cables and a harness to, like, mm-hmm. keep them from falling over. But then... For concerts? In the 90s, when he wanted to play this song live in concerts, they, like, would slip their shoe, like, the soles of their shoes, like, the heels, mm-hmm. into the floor of the stage. There were, like, little slits. Ah, uh, and it would so, just hold them down. Yeah, you would be able to, like, lean forward really far with those things in your shoes, or your shoes in the stage. Mm. But you would also need really good core strength to be Oof. able to pull that off. So imagine that. Uh-uh. So that's pretty cool. I have very poor core strength. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's Smooth Criminal. Anything else you want to say about that? Yeah, yeah. at the end, uh-huh. he says, daggone it, baby. Daggone it! And I've never, like, and I was like, oh, that's what he says. I've always just, <laughs> I had a, in high school, I had a friend named Alon. And we always thought it kind of sounded like he was saying, Alon. <laughs> no, no, there's a point. He's daggone it, babe. I, I think he says, you can hear him say daggone it. You can. I don't know. I don't apparently hear Michael Jackson. <laughs> I just hear sounds in the approximation of words. That's fair. We're going to blow our load a little soon here because uh, the next song is just his favorite my favorite it's called dirty dirty diana dirty diana it's, it's ramping up you can hear the the sounds of uh, adoring fans much better than that axel rose crowd <laughs> this is <laughs> you play this song for jess she can't control herself she gets so excited. She's over here, like, lip, lip-syncing the words. Okay. We gotta talk about this song. No, she won't stop. Okay, I'll mute my stuff so I can't hear it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this song is, like, so smooth. Oh, it's the oh the, the chorus. Okay, okay, mute yourself so we can talk about it. How um, dare you? This song is... You didn't even say please. Please. Okay, song makes heavy use of guitar. Mm. Um, it, it, it definitely has a very rock structure. People see this as like the um, the sequel to Beat It, which was kind of like the rock okay. pop I can see that. melding. This is this version. This, this is Bad's version of that. Okay, okay. 
Why is this song so important to you? <laughs> it's beautiful. It just moves me. I think lyrically, it's just like my favorite. It's, in my unbiased opinion, the best Michael Jackson song ever. Um, I think lyrically, the story it tells is so fun. Like, this is, again, one of the things I'm like, yeah, I know every lyric of this song. Because I think it's such an interesting story that it's telling. One. Two, I think it, like, hits my, like, this is the kind of rock, I guess, that mm -hmm. I like. Like, it's that mellow, um, I guess, on the softer side. The, um, the, the way this song moves, it's like rock music that you don't necessarily bang your head to. It doesn't have that energy, but it has that swagger that you just want to, like, sway to. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. I was like, I bang my head to this. Yeah. <laughs> but I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I just, like, it's great. I feel like, I don't know, I associate the song. So, like... I feel like every woman in my family has a song that, like, gets them on the floor. <laughs> and for my mom, it's Prince Purple Rain. And for me, it's Dirty Diana. Mm -hmm. And I will, like, crash to the ground rocking, like, yeah! I feel like James or Halima has a video of me doing this song at karaoke. Oh, gosh. <laughs> One of them do. Um, because it's for Dottie's birthday. Whatever! Um... Because it's just, it just, it moves me. It's so good. But I think that, like, it's more more than anything else. It's, it's the story that it tells. So tell us, what's the story? Who's Diana? Why, um, is, she, why is she so dirty? <laughs> Diana is uh, what we might call, I have to mute this again because it's my favorite part. <laughs> I turned it back on. I guess I don't have self-control. It's a story about a woman named Diana who is a groupie. <laughs> my brain went through every other word before. She's a groupie. She's a groupie. So, you know, Michael Jackson and Axl Rose, they're not so, they're not so Bite different. Bite your tongue and drown <laughs> on your blood. <laughs> Either way, they, they both... Michael Jackson would never make his fans wait two hours or cancel an entire show. No. Or go into the crowd and fight someone over a recording. All possibly because he's also dead and Axl is alive. But... Bite your tongue. No. Either way, they're still encountering groupies and, and writing songs about them. Yes. But this song is not in the, yeah, groupie, you give it away anyway. It's very much like, I, I think it's really interesting just this kind of like, it characterizes her. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that she's like a bad person or a good person, but it gives her a personhood where i think for the most part when you hear that in songs it's just like yeah girls 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 and stuff like that yeah. you know we're here it's um the first thing you really hear about her is um like she seduces every man she wants i'll come back to that first verse because i think it's really interesting in the storytelling um but it's um uh, she likes the boys in the band. She lo she loves when they come to town. Every musician's fan after the curtain comes down. She waits at black backstage doors for those who have prestige, who promise fortune and frame, a life that's so carefree. She says, that's okay. Hey, baby, do what you want. I'll be, you're a night-loving thing. I'll be the freak you can taunt. I don't care what you say. I want to go too far. I'll be your everything. I'll make you a star. It gives her, like, a dialogue. Yeah. It gives, like thought processes to it it's not just like yeah it's still a little bit like hey i want to get famous if this is the only way i want to get famous i'm gonna get famous then i'm going to or and it care but i don't know it's just like she's like having a whole conversation with him because the first okay sorry the first verse i, I read the second verse but the first verse says uh you'll never make me stay so take your weight off of me i know your every move so 
uh, won't you just let me be? I've been here times before, but I was too blind to see that you seduce every man. This time you won't seduce me. She's saying, that's okay. Hey baby, do what you please. I have the stuff that you want. I'm the thing that you need. She looked me deep in the eyes. She's touching me. So to start, she says, there's no turning back. She's trapped me in her heart. Mm. And it's even just saying the very beginning is saying, it's not saying like, he's, he's like, Oh, I'm above this. It's saying like, I've been here before. I've, I, before I was blind to see and I thought it was something different. This is not what I want. And she's just like, hey, do what you want. Because I know who I am. I know my worth and I know what you want. And the second verse is like more of the same saying like, she's every musician's fan. She can do like, and almost like definitely painting her in this like negative ways. Like it's not about you. It's about your fame and your money and what you can do for her. But it's still like when it goes to like her dialogue, she's just like, Hey, that's okay. I know who I am and what I want. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is how you should get your power, but I'm saying like, she's like a character that is well-written. And I think he's definitely not saying one, like this is after one person like Michelle is or something like this, but like that it's giving a kind of a voice to that. And I love that. And the last part, again, the part that I usually drop to my knees because if you've seen the music video, that's what he does. <laughs> oh, oh. I feel like we did that um, part a disservice. You want me to play that? Song? Yes. So she leave it to Michael to be the victim. She said I'm and like freaking just that right like that he the whole time is just like i'm not gonna do this anymore it's not gonna happen it's not about me it's about you and your power and what you want and then it opens with just her saying like being seductive it's just like i'm real tired but i hate sleeping alone gonna come with me and him not just like not saying no he's with a woman he, he says he has a baby at home though yeah, meaning a, a not a, a, a girl yeah another yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a he's got a he, sweetheart at home she's like why don't you come with me he doesn't say no i'm like i don't want he's like um no i'm seeing someone and she's at home and she's worried about me i didn't tell her that i wouldn't be home like and then she walks up to him and says i'm all yours tonight like Free and open and just like, let's do this. And I ran to the phone and said, baby, I'm all right. Like you wanted that kind of, which, hey, whatever, I guess. And then she takes the phone from his hand and says to his woman, he's not coming home because he'll be with me. Like, what? Is that a power move? I was like, that's a yes. Power, that's a power play. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I am not condoning this whatsoever. I'm just saying this song sings to something deep in my soul. <laughs> not about confronting someone and messing up a relationship, but just being so assured of yourself that you're just kind of like don't act like you don't want this Mm. don't act like you don't like you have not said no yet you're using a shield shut up like oh it gives me some maria mariah reynolds vibes i don't know who that is yes you do no (laughs) want to talk about the music video yeah, sure. Uh, it's pretty basic music video. Very. Uh, it's it, it, the best. I was just saying, like, of all the Michael Jackson music videos that bad spawned, this is the most traditional in terms it of music is. videos. I think, and that's the thing, like, he's writing a super rock song, mm-hmm. right? Like, it might as well be a very 
traditional rock video. So it's yeah. like him on stage performing the song. With flashes of like... Yeah, alley. yeah. Quick flashes to like a, a woman... You Walking know. in an alley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very basic music video. Yeah. And that being said, I feel like it, it served it the most because I feel like it evokes... It's very evocative like emotionally yeah. and... Yeah. Because Michael's playing the, the role of the rock star. And yeah. so like anybody could be the rock star. And any woman walking through that alley could be the Dirty Diana yeah. for them. So it's yeah. interesting. Which I like. Like they never showed her face or anything. Like that was just yeah. a woman walking in a very short skirt. Yep. <laughs> I was looking at reviews of Dirty Diana. The song the or song. the video? I, I, probably both. Anyone who says that it is not a masterpiece is wrong and you should never well, trust apparently their opinion. Apparently prevailing uh, criticism is that it's misogynistic. The video? The song. The song. The song. Yeah. You have this, you know, uh, seductive, evil woman okay. taking advantage of this this, this victim, you know, victim boy. Here's the thing. This innocent man. I can see that. Yeah. Except I see it as a very, an ode to a very powerful woman. Mm. <laughs> like. <laughs> I get it. You know, like, I can see where it's just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, but if you're specifically talking about somebody who, like, and not every woman, but, like, specifically, like, the woman who um, hangs around many, like, not just following one band, but, like, every musician's fan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and not, like, I, don't, I hope that doesn't sound, like, slut-shamey or something like that, but I'm, because, especially because I'm just like, girl, like... You're not playing a game. Like, so assured you're saying things like, okay, baby, whatever. Like, ugh. Infidelity's just not okay. Infidelity's not okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As I said in the previous. Yeah. But anyway, um, the Village Voice wrote, quote, the song is misogynistic as any metal suck my cock. Is any piece of metal suck my cock? Which I think that person, whoever wrote that quote, is the kind of person who wrote that Appetite for Destruction is too raunchy. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing. Like, they're not like, it's like, yeah, the song's just like too crass. Too, too, this woman is too sexual. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like I've heard people say that, like, why are you listening to the song? It's like, it's about, like, in its, like, most basic form, it's a song about, like, hey, as a rock star, a lot of people of various genders would like to sleep with me, and I'm saying no. Like, that's, yeah. that's but what then, it is. But then it's like a woman who is asserting her, her dominance, you know? Yeah. yeah. When I'm like, why is that not a thing? That- Either way, you know, it's, I feel like female sexuality in any way can be seen as like, oh, you know, problematic for some people. That's very true. Yeah. I think a more valid cr- criticism that I saw, um, and you know, I didn't get the, the source for this, but one of the reviews said, quote, Jackson was never convincing in this kind of role. A boy child trying to write a song about the kind of woman he never meets in the kind of places he's never he certainly has never been to. That's and I was like, hilarious. I was like, yeah, I, I get that criticism because, <laughs> like, knowing who Michael Jackson is, this song is a little like it's unconvincing. Okay, I want to agree with you because I do agree with you because like we're we talked about bad and watching that whole music video is like no honey i'm bad no sweetie i'm bad oh baby go to bed <laughs> like ooh, no you ain't nothing Mm-mm. i'm bad you're standing next to wesley slipes my guy like yeah. no yeah but with this i feel like because it's not him acting it's literally him singing and yeah. just moving to music i with the music video, I'm like, no, nah, I can believe this. Like, he is portraying this because he's not opening his mouth to talk yeah. very well. But, like, Michael Jackson as a figure, as, like, the human that he was, 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think that could be said, but- like you said, it for bad or for any of these songs where he's trying to be more mature and like, so to, so to speak, bad. It's mm-hmm. like, I think Michael, in some respects, wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. He, he was just trying to become bad. Yeah, like I think... He was it, trying to break bad. Yeah, <laughs> boo. Uh, I feel like, even with that, right, like... Uh, he was pigeonholed a little bit, right? He was has been in the eye of everyone since yeah. he was six, and he was like... He was America's sweetheart. Yeah, so it's hard to get out of that, but on top of it, like, him as a person didn't grow out of that. I do want to say Michael is credited as the songwriter for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, some of the songs that we're talking about, he wasn't. Right. But, like, this is one of the ones I was like, okay, well, if we're going to write from some kind of experience, but maybe it wasn't him. Maybe he was, like, chilling with his friend Slash. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And Slash was like... You know, the problem I had... I, I, I would believe that this song was inspired by his brothers. Because he, he said Billie Jean was about his brothers, so... You know, like, women that his brothers encounter. I, I could probably see this song. That's fair. Yeah. I could see that. Do you know who was a fan of this song, though? Who? Diana, Princess of Wales. Oh, I was gonna say... <laughs> yeah. I was gonna... I was, like, thinking of Diana, so I was yeah, like, Prin- Ross? Pr- Princess Diana told Michael, personally, that it was her favorite of his songs. Aww. And I guess... The story goes that he was he, he performed Dirty Diana on his following world tour. Mm-hmm. And when he got to England, he had them remove it from the set list because he didn't want to offend her. Uh. But she was like, are you singing Dirty Diana tonight? And he was like, uh. And she's like, I love that song. So, and so we put it back. Yep. Uh, that's great. I, Diana had some good taste. <laughs> I mean, like, like, let's be honest. I feel like, especially as a girl, as a girl, especially as a woman, but mm-hmm. also as a girl growing up. You would like, oh, my name's in a song. <laughs> and had my name be, been Diana, I would have been like, growing up, I would have been like, this I, is terrible. But as an adult, I'm like, yes, I am a powerful queen. I got an interesting story that is very much on topic. Um, I sat next to a girl in junior year of high school in English class named Michelle. <laughs> and she said, do you know any songs with the song with the name Michelle? And it's like, I know one. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily a song that you would want associated with your name. And I played her, or I, I told her about my Michelle. Mm-hmm. And she listened to it at home. And she she said, that was very interesting. <laughs> I think that was the word she said. Interesting. But she had it on her iPhone when she showed me, or iPod or whatever. Yeah. So apparently she was into it. I don't know. I mean, I she, guess. She thought it was interesting. Like, it, I think it's fun to have, like, songs. Like, the only song I can think about that has Jessica in it is a little bit the Mambo Number no. 5. It's just... There's, a, there's, a, there's an instrumental song called Jessica by the Allman Brothers. Boo. Uh, I don't want to be an instrumental. I want to be a power ballad. The only Rodney song that I know is Rappin' Rodney by Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> but okay, um, let's talk about... Leave Me Alone. Leave Me Alone. Playing it. Hey, what's the song? <laughs> So this song is very personal to Mr. Michael Jackson. It's called Leave Me Alone. It's a song. It's it's definitely an interesting song. And we we mainly picked it because of the music video. We 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 decided that the last song we were gonna talk about or whatever, you know, whatever the last song we decided on was gonna be based on the music video and what we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, and this music video is definitely evocative. Yeah. Yeah. Um well, I guess it's like let's talk about the song. Cause uh the song and the, the video kind of go hand in hand because they're kind of confronting the same issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, in ni- Beginning in 1986, the tabloids began to publish rumors about Mr. Michael Jackson. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, including 
that he had received extensive plastic surgery. Rumors. <laughs> I, I think that that's a pretty... Uh, Maybe at that point it wasn't extensive. <laughs> uh, you know, it was noticeable. <laughs> yeah. Um, that he was bleaching his skin. I don't think that was true. I think he had, he had a skin condition. That uh, So, as I, I know I don't want to spend too much time on this, but he had a skin condition and Michael was kind of like a perfectionist Mm -hmm. you know in his like he had a weird i think he had a weird relationship with his body image Mm -hmm. so when he saw that some parts of his skin were like lighter than others that he overcompensated were wearing a lot of makeup all over so that Mm -hmm. he was even okay so he was very pale because he wore a lot of makeup and so on okay yeah rumors like that he sleeps in a hyperbolic oxygen oxygen chamber i do remember that to slow the aging process that one was because he was, like, taking a tour out at the mall or something. He saw one of these hyperbaric chambers. And he was, like, because he was a bit of a jokester. He was just, like, I'm going to get in and take a picture of me, like, in this chamber as mm-hmm. a joke. But people saw that picture and was like, oh, he must sleep in that thing. Oh, gosh. Yep. Um, rumor is that he proposed buying the bones of the elephant man. Yeah. Yep. I remember um, there's an interview where he's like, why do I want to buy no bones? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad. I don't need no bones. Yeah. So yeah, it's all of these weird tabloid stories, weird rumors. Doing like crazy things with his his monkey. Yeah, his chimpanzee bubbles. <laughs> you know, he, and he was a very eccentric man. Yeah. We cannot deny that. You know, he he was a child at heart. Mm-hmm. Wanted to, you know, basically relive the childhood that he, he didn't, didn't get have. to have. Yeah. yeah. Like went to Disneyland a lot and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, these stories inspired the nickname Wacko Jacko. Which he despised. I've never heard of that. Name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've definitely heard Wacko Jacko. And, uh, like, just the Wacko Jacko persona, like, overwhelmed him. Mm. And he hated paparazzi. He hated that he couldn't go anywhere by himself. He wore disguises. Yeah. Like, there are news videos of him, like, with, like, fake mustache <laughs> and stuff like that. Just so that he can go to the mall by himself and, yeah. like, not be noticed. He, he, I think he had a weird relationship with fame. I think with, like most famous people have, you know, mm-hmm. where he, that's what the song's about. He's yeah. like, leave me alone. <laughs> just, I mean, just fair. leave me be. Stop putting my life under a microscope. Let me live my life. Stop. L- let me enjoy life. Yeah. Let me walk down the street. Let me f- meet people. Mm-hmm. Let me find friends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that... Oh, sorry. Were you no, no, that's say? it. Uh, yeah, like, that's got to be such a hard balance to strike. Because I can definitely hear people, like, saying, like, well, you're famous. You need to just put up with it. Like, well, why are you being famous? But, like, legit, this is all he's known for yeah. the longest amount it's of time. It's not like he had a choice. He, he didn't have a choice. And then on top of that, right, like, once he is an adult and he can make his own choice, he was like, no, I love doing this. I love making music. I love sharing it. You know, like, because I feel like we create a lot... You and I create, a, like, a lot of different art and in different ways and it's just kind of like no i want to share this with people yeah but like i've never liked the idea of fame like i don't want people knowing what my face looks like and being stopped that i am socially awkward yeah i do not like people i am the extreme introvert i love it but i can see being like hating that yeah absolutely hating that and not it makes it sense as to why like sia um, an artist whom you probably don't know. Nope. <laughs> um, she sings a lot of songs. You've heard them, but it's fine. I'm not gonna... Th- she, um, performs and has concerts and stuff like that, but she always has, like, wigs that 
completely cover her face and you only see her nose mm. she you don't see her in public you don't see her without stuff the people who know what she looks like knows what she she looks like yeah but otherwise she can go wherever she freaking wants she can do what she wants because she has you know like and that's the the thing where she's like i i feel like i don't know i haven't watched interviews with her because i just don't spend time doing yeah. that but that thing where it's like i don't want to be famous i just want to share my art right you know and like Michael, like, even sounds like that's what he would have liked to do, but Joe Jackson saw them dollar dollar bills. You know, like, why are you going to hide this cute face who can sing? (laughs) And that just sucks. Like, I wish he had, like, maybe taken five years to, like, hermit himself and do nothing Mm -hmm. and then, like, have some plastic surgery and then represent himself and find a way to, like, do because it sucks. Like, especially, I think, thinking about... Um, how all of his, most of his life was controlled. Yeah. Uh, and then not like, and then being able to like rest that control for yourself, um, just a few years before this, but then still feeling very out of control. Right. Like I've definitely had rumors spread about me about stuff and now I'm an adult and the rumors don't really go very far besides like out of where I work and the people I hang out with. And it just like, doesn't necessarily bother me as much, but it's still like one of those things where, I'm the, I'm the same. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, I'm the type of person who, if I go to a drive through at a fast food restaurant and the person recognizes me at the window, I never want to go back to that place. Yeah, that's true. I'm <laughs> yeah. not that bad where I'm yeah. like, I'm fine. If I'm just like, yeah. I walk in somewhere and people know my order, I'm like, oh, I love that because that's all you know about me. Yeah, no, that'd be crazy. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I <laughs> do not envy Michael and I feel bad for him. Yeah. You know, because like the poor guy, like... He, he didn't want this. He seemed yeah. like a very shy person. And, and he's out here, like, getting hounded and people making stuff up about him. And, like, yeah, man. That's, that's what the whole song's about. Yeah. Just what, don't stop. You keep dogging me? What is the, the lyric uh, there? Stop. Do- don't keep dogging me around. Don't keep dogging me around. Yeah. Uh, just stop dogging me around. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. That's to the paparazzi. Yeah. The tabloids. And even this whole um, music video, which I think, like, one of the reasons we put we took it, it's um, artistic yeah. in a way that I could appreciate. <laughs> and in its, like, stop motion, almost, like, cut out yeah, so things. It, it's, like, it's, an, it's semi-animated, where mm-hmm. it's, like, Michael is clearly on a green screen or something. And mm-hmm. then, like, animated bits are, like, animated around him. And they're almost, like, cardboard cutouts. Sort of like Peter, Peter Gabriel's, uh, is it Sledgehammer video? Either way, there's a Peter Gabriel video that has a, a similar style. Mm-hmm. Or like, you said Angela Anaconda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely looks like that. It, like, felt, it felt like that. Yeah, like... Like, it scrap, feels like... Scrapbooky? Yeah, scrapbooky. I yeah. think it makes me think Ransom Noty. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, and, and Michael is, like, riding an amusement park ride through, like, basically an amusement park slash circus inspired by his life through the tabloids. Yeah, and so, like, you keep seeing headlines, like, that are, like, crazy and outlandish, but were real headlines at the time about him, and then, like, seeing, like, the bones of an elephant man. Yeah, it's like, Michael wants to buy the elephant man bones, and then suddenly the elephant man bones come to life and dance with him. Yeah. And um, and there, when he says, don't just keep... Stop dogging me around. There's like dogs yeah. controlling the 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 roller coaster that he's on. Mm-hmm. The roller coaster that is his life. Yes. Oh. Oh. And then on top of it, like I think the thing that's like quintessential uh, that's really beautiful about it is he Michael's going around this whole like circus amusement point thing, but then it pulls out and it's Michael himself like being pinned down by the like the circus pegs and different things like that it's very much like Gulliver's like Gulliver's travels and he his body 
is the amusement. Right. And so, it's very interesting and very creative. <clears throat> yeah. And, like, very tongue-in-cheek almost, you know? Um, the video was directed by Jim Blashfield. And this video did win an Emmy for Best Music Video. Oh. Huh. just want to point that out. In 1990. Because the Grammy... Is it the Grammys? The Grammys. He won a, it won a Grammy okay. for Best Music Video in okay. 1990. Because the Grammys are weird. <laughs> and hold things off. Yeah. But anyway, um, I think... Jim Blashfield and Michael were being super creative with the music video. Like, they were poking fun at the tabloids. Like, there were still some jokes to be had about it. Like, isn't this stuff ridiculous? Mm. You know, like, why, why do I want to buy any bones? You know, like, yeah. Michael at least is, is going to at least be self-deprecating about it. You know, yeah. I think he, he has a good humor about it to an extent. Like, this is, that is not the case even a few years later. Like, where it really starts to get to him. Mm-hmm. But at least here, it's like, hey, we can still have fun with this. We can make a really fun, like, artistic piece about these crazy rumors. Yeah. You know? And and I was talking to you about this when we were watching it. It felt like with these music videos, Michael was allowed to, like, stretch his creative muscles. And he was always looking for weird takes. Yeah. You know? And, like, interesting mediums to explore with his music videos, right? Obviously, we have the, the short film, like, Bad or Smooth mm-hmm. Criminal. But with the super surreal stuff like this song, or Speed Demon. Whoa! And as she hates the Speed Demon. I hate it so much. The Speed Demon video has Don't a bunch of- Don't bother watching no, it. No, I love it. It's great. Watch it. It's got claymation, animation, and a bunch of cameos by like just random artists and comedians and people from that time period, like Pee Wee Herman. Whoa. Speaking of 1986 TV shows. Was check that, that episode. 1986 oh, yeah, TV shows. Oh yeah, we're in 87 right now. Go watch that or go listen to that episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like Michael was interested in just weird stuff. Yeah, like the Librarian Girl, which you didn't like that music video yeah, at all. You thought it was like so weird. Lame. You know, like Librarian Girl is a music video that's a super meta. It is about the making of the music video and all of Michael Jackson's famous friends are hanging out. Yeah, but that is the music video. The making of the music video is the music video. Yeah. So either way, just just like when we t- I talked when I talked about Pee Wee Herman's Pee Wee Playhouse, like being a a vessel to explore really interesting artworks mm-hmm. and, and and fun creative animation pieces, you know, exploring different new technologies. Michael was doing the exact same thing in his music video. So yeah. just just fun 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 stuff, fun, fun stuff. stuff to be had. Just fun stuff to be had. Yeah. Except not fun at all if you're watching Speed Demon. Don't watch a Speed Demon. Speed Demon. <laughs> Gosh, it's so bad. Anyway, let's uh let's let's shift gears a little bit. Nah. Go a little slower, a little bit more serious. Got a little song about being the person you need to be. The song, the song. He's gonna make a change for once in his life. Just one time though. It's gonna feel real good. He's gonna hey. make a difference. Hey. He's gonna make it right. Gosh, you can hear him crying, like this is a very good song it is like i always go back and forth i was like what's the best michael jack song i immediately say dirty day and, I, and then somebody's like what about man in the mirror and i'm like "Ooh." like i know you know that's the thing i i, I legit I, I could see the the argument for this song it's good yeah no it's i'm definitely good. not yeah. like it's like just half a point behind dirty diana because <laughs> I can still sing this, but it doesn't bring me to my knees. Um, though Michael considered this one of his favorite songs, 
did you know that he did not actually write the lyrics I or did. the music? I did know that. Yeah. Because when I was looking this up, I was like, what? Why didn't he write this one? Not why didn't, but you know. Yeah, it was composed and written by Glenn Ballard, mm-hmm. who was a hit maker who had worked with everyone from Van Halen to Atlantis Morissette. And uh, I'm sorry if, if, if I mispronounce your name, but is it? What is it? Shade? Shida? Sida? Shade? I, I thought it was Sheeta Garrett. It might be Sheeta Garrett, but also it might be Celtic, so you can't trust letters. Yes. Um, <laughs> she sang duet with Michael on the song from Bad, I Just Can't Stop Loving You. So, uh, yeah, either way, though, those two wrote Man in the Mirror. That one didn't have a music yeah. video. But I think, that's the thing, it's like, you write these lyrics, this is a song that I can understand Michael completely gravitating towards and being like, understanding the message, agreeing with it, and like, yeah, that's the message I want to stand up for. Yeah. Yeah. What's the song about? Um, it's really just a song that's a call to action to like look at the world around you and um, take action, right? Yeah. Like to internalize what you see and make a decision to do something. Like better yourself so that you can better the world. Yeah. Because the world is all of us together. You gotta mute yourself because we can't just keep listening to the chorus. You gotta look at yourself and just make a change. I can't look at myself. My eyes are broken. So, do you want to talk about the music video? Sure. So, the 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 Man in the Mirror music video was uh, directed, produced, and edited by a man named Don Wilson. Um, it is very is very different from all the other music videos for the album. Yeah. Um, it's mostly just a montage of clips from all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it seems like it's trying to tell the story. It's like, the world is a very scary place. It's a broken place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got clips from, like, the, the hunger crisis in Africa that Michael was, like, fighting for mm-hmm. with, like, you know, uh, We Are the World. You got clips of the KKK, yeah. riots. Police brutality. Adolf Hitler. Mm. Um, you know, a very broken place and then, uh, shootings and then it transitions to like showing a group of different individuals who like took a stand, made a difference, mm-hmm. you know, stood up for themselves. People like Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. so on, so on. So I think, I think that, I mean, it's just, it, it's very simple video, but one that tells a very impactful story. Yeah. Um, it's just like. The world's broken. People need to take a stand like these people did. And then we can create, you know, make a world a better place. Yeah, yeah. If we ourselves decide to make that change. 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 <laughs> I'm going to play that right now. Because uh, uh, I, I, I was reading that there was a, a list online of like the greatest key changes in, in music history. Mm. Number one was Man in the Mirror. <laughs> right here. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make Change. You got the gospel. Yep. It's like the, the the song just like it's almost like you're looking through a little hole, and right when that change happens, it just explodes, yeah. and you see the whole picture. You know, <laughs> I'm like, mm, very good, mm. <laughs> very good. It is very good. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say the song like at that point turns to mostly 
vocally. Like they're still under it, right? The 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 chorus, the choir is still going, but it's a lot of ooh, make a change, ah, take your place, change yourself, ah. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of it. It's like a, the song has already been over, but we do <laughs> two yeah, two, two verses and a chorus worth of vocalizations vocalizations until we get the final chorus oh like right now you think we're almost at the end no we still got a minute and a half we gotta we gotta build that choir back up (laughs) yeah and it works it's a beautiful beautiful thing it's just like when you're looking through the the lyrics you're like oh okay this is why i don't ever read the lyrics right i don't realize it's that long until i'm reading the lyrics but I, I, we were watching the music video and we were feeling a lot just with the current world we live in. You yeah. Know? And it's just like, yeah, the things that Michael was standing up against is the same stuff that we need to stand up against. Everything is awful. Yeah. So either way, the song and the video are both very effective even today. Yeah. So good job, Michael. Good job, Don Wilson. Yeah. You made good art. You made good art. And then this song really is like kind of like the next step in like a very prominent trend in Michael's music. It's like every album has a, what I would consider a humanitarian song mm-hmm. or a song yeah, yeah, he's yeah. singing about the world or, you know, the children mm-hmm. or uh, things that he needs to make the world a better place, whatever it is. This is Bad's version of that. Yeah. It's got some uh, interesting lyrics. Uh-huh. Well, okay. I mean, it's got lots of interesting lyrics, but there's specifically in both of the verses, like places that I'm like, what does that mean? So, a summer's disregard, a broken bottle top, and one man's soul, they follow each other on the wind you know. And then in the next verse, a willow de- a will uh, a willow deeply scarred, somebody's broken heart, and a washed out dream, they follow the pattern of the wind you see. And I'm like to me if I think he's they're saying that all of these issues all come down to the same core issue and that's the person that we all need to be right it's Mm -hmm. like all of these things are affected by one's own selfishness you Mm -hmm. know like the world's the the world's accumulation of broken hearts right like a a, a scarred world so on is all the product of one person's choice to be selfish over selfless yeah no i i can see that definitely um like, they are all the same in that way. Yeah. But I think it's the, like, they follow the way of the wind, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't know. What do you mean? What do you mean these things fall? A soul, a man's soul and broken hearts and washed out dreams go the way of the wind. Which the next line is, um, they follow the way of the wind, you know, because they've got nowhere to go. That's why I want you to know you need to change kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I just think, like, the use of, because I was sitting there, is like, in literature, right? Mm-hmm. Why is the songwriter choosing wind? I guess I know. Sorry, I just want to talk to you about yeah, this. As I think like, it's just natural. Like when, when it's like on the wind means like of the world, like existent. Like these things are prevalent. Like we can't shut our minds off to them. It's like, hey, these things are of the wind. You know, it's like they are around us. They continue to happen. You know, they didn't go away. We didn't solve racism in the sixties. I like, think, we may be not, like, maybe we're not hungry in America, but people in the other world are hungry. Yeah. Like, we didn't solve hunger. This is a continuing issue. Yeah. No, you're right. I think that, but I think, like, w- the way you're saying it makes me think of air rather than wind, you know? But, no, yeah, I think there is that thing. But even as you were speaking, I think about how wind is a thing because, scientifically, right? <laughs> like, air pressure. Like, it's really, air is really hot up 
on top so it comes down and the air that is cooled by the ground like rises because like that's what happens yeah and so these different it makes me think of like um your your disregard your broken bottle top your one man's soul broken hearts and washed out dreams they follow the way of the wind meaning like there are highs and lows and they keep coming back so that we need to like maintain visibility yeah. is not the word i want to say but uh keep them in our mind right like yeah. that this is oh, yeah. the thing like that changes always like the wind is always changing and moving and so even as change comes we need to continue oh, yeah. to change ourselves i can see that too absolutely we still need to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's why i was pointing these the, this this out because i was just like the fact that they're using wind yeah. is um yeah that's interesting yeah it's like as the world progresses right we can't forget about these very important issues that continue to exist. Yeah, because, like, more problems, right? Like, sorry. More there are mo- always mo- going to be more problems. More money, more problems. More money. <laughs> mm. And uh, more technology, more problems. Yeah. More um, power, more problems. Yep. So these kind of things were like, okay, but we need to always have ourselves being, like, counter-motivated against these things, like, as we grow in whatever it is, to remember that, like, there are people among us that are around us, maybe not directly around us, but like you said, in different countries, or down the freaking street, let's be honest. Like, if we travel five miles from where we live, we're going to see a lot of poverty and a lot of more than, you know, like, if we drive five miles up the street, we're going to see a lot more uh, wealth than we have, you know, and to remember that there's disparity no matter where you go. And like when you're moving and changing, like the point is to motivate us to see the world for what it is to open our eyes, right? Like right. that's even what the song is opening uh, about um, making a difference and making it right. Like not just walking past somebody uh, you see in the street. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so all that serious stuff out of the way. Let's talk about how well Bad did. <laughs> okay. It, it did good. It did good. And by Michael's standards, it did bad. <laughs> um, bad. Did it prove that he was bad? No. No. <laughs> bad debuted at number one, as expected, on the Billboard Top Pop Albums chart, s- selling over two million copies in its first week in the U.S. Whoa. By 1991, it was the second best-selling album of all time, behind... Appetite for Destruction. No. <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry. I didn't hear the first part. I was picking at a bug bite. <laughs> it's the second best-selling album of all time, behind... The Bible? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Behind what? Michael Jackson's Bad is number two, so therefore number one is... Thriller! You got it. Oh. <laughs> you... The look you gave me was so disappointed and disgusted. I've never seen that before. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Having sold 25 million copies worldwide. However, because it failed to match the sales of Thriller in the US, some in the media, and Michael himself, considered the album a disappointment. It was so good. Dirty Diana was on it, Michael. Um, as far as reviews goes, um, Rolling Stone called Bad a better record than Thriller, which I can get behind. I think mm-hmm. overall there's more good on on, on Bad than on Thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this very reason, in fact, uh, Rolling Stone said that they felt the filler tracks uh, on Bad made Bad, quote, richer, sexier, and better than Thriller's forgettables. Mm. You know, because I feel like the lesser tracks on Bad are better than some of their lesser tracks on Thriller. Okay. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> Bad was nominated for a for several Grammys. It was nominated for Album of the Year, Best Pop Vocal Performance by a Male, Best R&B Vocal Performance by a Male, and won for Best Engineered Recording. Oh, which one was that? 
I think just for the record itself. Oh, okay. Yeah, it didn't win any of the other ones, though. And then the following year, it was nominated for Record of the Year for Man in the Mirror. Ah. Yeah. With with Guns N' Roses and with Michael Jackson, if you, like, you want to know what they got onto after the release of these albums, maybe we'll talk about <laughs> such things on a later episode. Just saying. Yeah, probably. <laughs> in the same year, in fact. Oh, man. It's, quite, it's, it's funny. Uh, Guns N' Roses and Michael Jackson had uh, parallel... Uh, releases for a while. Until Axel is like, I'm never releasing another album. Yeah. Anyway, that's really it for Michael Jackson's Bad. Yeah. With um, with music, you see, music doesn't necessarily have to be just a, a, a an audio medium. It can be a visual one as well. Right, right. Um, we talked about the music videos, but we need to talk about the album covers. Yeah. Before we do that, which album's better musically? Michael Jackson's Bad. I no. Listen, I'm gonna say a draw in no. my opinion. I, no. I cannot give it to either. I think both are some of the best albums ever made, and I can't choose a winner because nope. I think they. If you don't want to budge on me on that one, I guess it goes to thrill or bad. But yeah. But I say a draw. Just want to put that down. Rod says draw. See, this is the reason I'm gonna say. This is the reason I say Michael Jackson. Right. I'm not saying that. Um, that appetite restriction was bad, right? Because I definitely would suggest it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michael Jackson, I feel like, is the crossover, right? Where, like, I get, yeah. You know, like, it's not just like, oh, it's because I, I love Dirty Diana, I love it. But, like, in a very real thing, like, I can, most of the songs on this thing, I can say to someone, uh, and they'll be like, yeah, Michael Jackson. Whereas, two three of the songs on appetite for destruction people would be like yeah but if i said my michelle for the most part people would be like my sharona <laughs> like Fair. you know Fair. it's not it's not a bad album yeah. it's a wonderful album and i think it you're it's it is worth it being it lost like, to one of the best i get it yes okay but album covers can't be judged on the music alone. They need to be judged on their covers. Yeah. And we've got the album covers for both Appetite Destruction and Bad here, and we're going to decide which one has a better album cover. Okay. Start with Appetite for Destruction. Describe what you see here. I see a cross uh-huh. uh, with each point of the cross, that being five points, well, four points in the center, having skulls with hair and hats attached to them. Above them is a ribbon that says guns in the letter in roses and below another ribbon appetite for destruction yep so this artwork was designed by billy white jr it was originally supposed to be a tattoo it features all the skulls very much like tattoo yeah all of the skulls on the album cover are the band members yeah so obviously i can tell by the hats and the hair yeah you you (laughs) can see slash here he's got his top hat um curly hair yeah this wasn't the original album cover oh in a similar circumstance we talked about Van, uh, what is it? Uh, 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 bon Jovi's previous album cover. Mm-hmm. The original cover was too raunchy. Stores didn't want to cover it, yeah. So they had to change it. Same goes for Guns N' Roses. The, do you have the original? I album? sure do. The original album cover, based on a Robert Williams painting called "Appetite for Destruction." Okay, that's probably where they got the album title Name. from. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll read it off while you take a look at this ugly thing. <laughs> oh, I don't like it. It depicts a robot racist. Or sorry, a robot rapist about to be punished by a metal avenger. I didn't need that. I, didn't I, need I apologize. To see that. It is an ugly cover. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like not even let my kids. It's uh, it's ugly and visual. It's ugly visually, just just aesthetically. It's also ugly like with its content. Yeah, you see like a half naked woman who's just been defiled or something. Yeah, don't like it. Yep, no, it's not good. After several retailers refused to stock the album, the label compromised and put the controversial album cover inside. Like, in the booklet. Um, because we were still doing albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think smarter minds prevailed, because that's not okay. No. And uh, we do talk about it a lot, but uh, the mockumentary This Is Spinal Tap features Mm -hmm. a fake metal band, and it was released in 1984. Um, It has a very similar situation where the album wants to release a cover that's too racy for stores, so they have to change it. Yeah. We've talked about that almost every year. Yeah. (laughs) How interesting. Do you think the, that um, Guns N' Roses had seen that movie at that point? I don't know. I, I, I would I would think so, but who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, this wasn't even the most controversial idea for the cover either. Mm. In an interview, uh, Rose said that the original idea was for the cover just to be the photo of the Challenger exploding. Whoa. Yeah, which had happened the previous year. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Axel Rose. Geffen refused saying it was in bad taste. Yeah, it was in bad like, taste. Like, a year hadn't even passed. <sighs> Too Ooh. soon. Too soon. They were stupid boys. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, and then you got... Uh, Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson's bad album cover. What do you see? It's much more minimal, minimal, minimalistic. Minimalistic. It is uh, Jackson in his outfit from the bad music video. His iconic jacket with the leathers in the, the studs Struts and the... And- the zippers. Looking like a leather daddy. You know daddy. what? His, his jacket looks so Final Fantasy. Oh, you're right. Final, I, I would not be surprised if like the art That's designer like a, of Final Fantasy VII and so on was inspired by Michael Jackson's fashion in the mm, 80s. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And then it just says Michael Jackson along the side with bad written in like graffiti, like graffiti I guess. Yeah. It's red spray paint. It's a very good cover, I feel like, you know? Like it's, it's striking in its own like simplicity. But so is Appetite for Destructions, to be honest. I feel like both are very simple, but both very effective. Yeah. 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 One's all black and one's all white. Really. Yeah. Which is better? Um, see, okay. So I like the the Appetite for Destruction, but because all I, I can just kind of see it as, um, as the tattoo is meant to or as on a shirt. It's definitely um, a shirt or like a framed poster yeah whereas like jackson's appeals to me because it's it feels like it's just two colors more than it you know i don't know i don't know i this one i might say draw i think it just depends on the mood you're in i'm gonna say appetite for destruction okay because i think it's more iconic and like you said it's better on a t-shirt i think it just it's just like so cool again and michael looks cool yeah michael looks cool in his album cover but i feel like when all is said and done i think the Appetite for Destruction album cover just looks cooler. Yeah. To me. I can I can totally I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. I think that like again, Michael Jackson being so incumbent in my life. <laughs> yeah. Like the iconicness of that, it strikes me more because it's more familiar. But I definitely can also just write like I said. It also it also doesn't help looking at Michael here. Like just like he doesn't look very bad. He doesn't look like bad he at looks all. cool in his jacket and stuff like that, but like that face, like uh-uh, he's just he's I was in- like eyeballing his makeup the whole time. He's I was too like, innocent. Mm, yeah. I like that I, I yeah. like that bottom liner you got going on. Yeah. Anyway, 
that, that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you for sitting with us for this long adventure through music of 1987. Don't you want to talk about Runners Up? Oh, I sure do. Oh, I sure do. <laughs> Golly gee. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, like, the, the heavy hitters won this year. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of forgot what Runners Up were. So. Yeah, Runners runners Up are, like, far behind. They lag behind. I only had one Runner Up, uh, and it was Whitney Houston's Whitney, mm-hmm. which I think even we were like, wait, is this just... So, Whitney Houston's first album is called Whitney, Whitney Houston, Houston, and, and the, the second, second one album. is just Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> Whitney. Be more creative. The third one, Wit. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, Yeah, so Michael Jackson won in a landslide for me. For you, um, Death Leopard's Hysteria. That's a good album. It's it's got a Pour Some Sugar On Me on there. Pour some sugar on me on there. That's how that goes, right? Something like that. Uh, We had Aerosmith's Permanent Vacation. That's also good. Like, this is a good year for hard rock. I feel like everyone was like... Hey, we need to like bring our A game, you know. <laughs> I feel like everybody was like sick of the lull that mm. Rock had been in. They're like time to move it on yeah. up. Yeah. And then NWA's NWA and the Posse. Okay, <laughs> that was their NWA's first album. Uh, it was like NWA, like four NWA songs, and then a bunch of their friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love L- you so l- much. Listen to the Panic Zone. It's great. <laughs> Gosh. See, that's why my mom is like, he likes NWA. What is this? Yeah. And why my cousins were like, wait a minute, when you were wearing the NWA shirt, except that's the wrestling one. NWO. NWO. Just, you're just all over the place with love and affection. <laughs> all right. That's the end of our show. Thank you for listening. Plugs. Plugs. Um, if you want to listen to more of my voice and you like wrestling, if you knew what the NWO was... <laughs> You can listen to my YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We follow the careers and characters of uh, our favorite wrestlers. Um, We're currently in an Eddie Guerrero arc. We're looking at Latino Heat Eddie Guerrero um, from his time in late WCW. So if that strikes your fantasy, check us out on YouTube. Um, You can also, if you like video games, I write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net. If you like The Legend of Zelda, check us out. If you like to ship things... Don't use UPS. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I um, if if you like the sound of my voice and you want to hear me read with uh, more determination than I did earlier today, trying to do a reading of the lyrics for a Guns N' Roses song, uh, you can find me on re- YouTube where I tell stories as Taming Tales on YouTube. And that's it. Yeah. Follow us on. Uh, oh, at Media Main Show on Twitter. Uh, we will be up. We just post updates and fun little things like that. Yeah, where you can uh, try to guess what our TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of '87 uh, will be before we uh, put that up. Um, just so you know, we look through a lot of Wikipedia articles for that for different countries. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, look forward to TV of 1987. That's next. I-, I was pleasantly surprised with some of. The stuff we watched next, you know, in 1987. So anyway, yeah. that's that. That is that. Thank you for sticking around with us for uh, two and a half hours, yeah. three and a half hours, four, 453 minutes. We've been here for a while. <laughs> I, I, either way, go go listen to some good music after you're done listening to this. Yeah, go watch the Dirty Diana music video and fall to your knees. All right, hey, speaking of that, we're going to be closing with Dirty Diana because there's no other song to finish. So hey. with that, good night. Goodbye. Night, kids. Because you're